Welcome to Franchise Killer, a podcast where we pick movie franchises or wannabe franchises, review them film by film, and see where things went wrong. All right. All right. See what I did there? I slow mo. Oh yeah, because it's a Zack Snyder film. Uh, Something I very much noticed on our rewatch of this, our second rewatch, because this is one of our lost episodes. Uh, Man, that first recording was so good. It was like probably one of the best things that we've done. Yeah, Uh, next to Cowboys and Aliens. I'm just kidding. It was it was it was your typical it was your typical great episode, but uh, we're gonna make it even better this time. Uh, I'm Reese. Across me we have David. To his left, Arena. To my right, Rorschach. <laughs> Which is Why did you the same like voice as Batman. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it he, is. he goes real deep. He does. He goes yeah. even harder. He goes than real deep. It's Rorschach. You're in here with me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, levitating in the nude right in front of us, we have <laughs> Pat Buchanan. <laughs> also known as AJ. And for once, he's here with us. It's been. Probably over a hundred episodes since uh, you've actually been in the same room with us. You've been remote yeah. since then. So uh, how does it feel? Scary. Scary? <laughs> Intimidating <laughs> even. Uh, this is not a scary space. This is a safe space. I will say, what was the, do you remember the last episode you actually recorded with us? Wild Wild West. No. Oh, what a way whoa. to go. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on. That's a lost episode. Yeah. I think that's the joke here. I don't, yeah. uh, I don't remember. Yeah, it was very early on, though. Uh, yeah, so uh, probably because we have about 13, not lost episodes, but episodes that we do not release uh, because they were uh, warm-up episodes for us as a podcast. And or, yeah, I think it was like 15 episodes. Yeah, 15. And AJ was on 13 of those, I think, like most of them. And then we did, we got the new recording equipment for Narnia, then... Uh, I think we did League of Extraordinary I, Gentlemen. I think Constantine was the last one he was on. No, he was. No? Y- you were. He was here for uh, some of the new. I was here for Aragon. Ones. Yeah, Aragon. Oh well, never Wait, mind. You? Yeah. What? Because really? Nick was there. Nick too. was here for Aragon. He wasn't here. You <laughs> weren't here for. What? Both of us were here. Yeah, remember? Because no, I didn't. That, get was, no, no, that was around your way. Yeah, I was bitter about yeah. that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Because wow. Aragon was like. My thing. And we said, get Noah out of here. Yeah. Not, not your thing as in you loved the movie, though. No, I don't love the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was so yeah. into no, it. No, I've read all the books. Yeah. Yeah. Ne- needless to say, you haven't been here in a while, so it's great to have yeah. you in person uh, to talk about Watchmen, movie that came out in 2009. Yeah. It's directed by Zack Snyder, someone we've talked about uh, previously, not too long ago with Sucker Punch. Uh, but let's go through the filmography one more time here. We got he started off with Dawn of the Dead. Thoughts on Dawn of the Dead? Y'all like it? I like Dawn Great of the movie. Dead. Some people say it's still his best. Would you agree? No. No. Yes. No. Okay. It's pretty good though. It's good. Yeah, but not best. Uh, followed that up with Three Hundred, which was a kind of break. That was his breakout big box office success. Like Dawn of the Dead proved that he could direct in actually making a remake that was uh, comparable to the original in quality. Uh, like it's one of the few remakes where it's like, oh. Right. I see you. This is not a bad remake. You know, there's only a handful of remakes that feel uh, like they were worth it. And that I would throw Dawn of the Dead in with that group. Uh, After 300, we had this Watchmen. But that was followed by both in the same year, Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul and Sucker Punch. Uh, No, I remember you kind of liking that Owls movie. Or was it Joseph? I don't know. I thought it was okay. 
It was alright. I don't remember time. it being bad. Yeah, I thought I think it was decent. Wait, are you saying Zack Snyder did that? Yeah. Oh, that is there weird. were slow motion. Yeah, there, yeah, I, there I, were slow motion yeah. owls. It's yeah. just I just remember it being kind of. I just remember it kinda being kind of boring. Like it was well done, but slightly a bit of a drag. Well, that was another one of those book series that, as a young lad, I read. A young a lad, young lad. Uh, like middle school or something like that. Yeah, it's a lot. I think it's a, it's a long book series, right? I don't know. Uh, we're not talking about that movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking. Uh, about owls. We're talking about Owl Man. Yeah, Man of Steel. Another big like. Oh wow. Uh, here here it is. He's gonna kick off this the, the DC universe. Uh, I think. I don't know, but I I want to I want to say Man of Steel was not meant to kick off the DCU, but it ended up being the jumping off point. So as much it was not the Iron Man situation where you had like there was actually a plan. It was more right. like oh, uh, we kind of want to do what Marvel's doing. Hey, we came out with that Superman movie. Maybe uh, that can be our jumping off point, and hence why uh, the DCU mate has no like real connective tissue that makes sense and leads to anything that, of, of meaning he did superman uh, batman v superman dawn of justice justice league which was shadow directed by and reshot by uh, joss whedon and then uh after a big movement from fanboys and fangirls i, I would i would have to assume less fangirls uh zack snyder's uh, justice league released and along with the uh, army of the dead so he did another twofer in that same year releasing the the Snyder Cut and Army of the Dead. So definitely a director with a a distinctive style, I think. That said, your mileage with that style may vary. Um, I don't remember what we said in our original recording of this or in the Sucker Punch episode, but let's take a let's take a temperature test. Like, how do you feel about the the Zack Snyder style or, or the aesthetic of him as a director? I feel I'm, like you always know when it's Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so his style mm-hmm. almost like he kind of lends to the comic book look in general there's that sense of a little bit of high high fantasy incorporated in something that is a very normal and commonplace mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's yeah. kind of a high contrast too to a lot of his movies so yeah yeah i know a lot of people say that I mean, a lot of people as if I'm reading up on all the Zack Snyder stuff, but uh, I've heard of him being style over substance a lot of the time. And mm. I think we even kind of discussed that during the Sucker Punch episode. Um, but with certain movies, he's got the substance and this mm-hmm. may or may not be one of them. Yeah. So although you may argue, is it his substance or someone else's? Yeah, whatever it is, he think- knows sometimes how to get people to do things right. I think it's kind of just substance abuse. Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> He seems like someone you might. <laughs> I don't want to start that rumor. <laughs> yeah, maybe let's stop there. As far as personal opinion, I do like his style. Yeah. But I would agree there are times he gets a little heavy handed with his own style and yeah. you sort of lose the con not not the concept, but the yeah. substance yeah. of it. Yeah. No, AJ. I, yeah, well, going go going back to Sucker Punch, uh, his strength is in you know, bringing someone else's story to life rather than his own, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot of people's opinion, probably mine as well. So there's a time and a place for him mm-hmm. and his, yeah. his direction. I I just think he'd, he would be much better branching out a little bit, you know. I do like his style, but I wish he would add s- some other elements into the fray. Yeah. You know, you don't see a lot of different... What would you give as stuff. an example, like what what he would 
do differently? Well, uh, it's hard to say like what I would have him do differently, but it's mm-hmm. just you Mix know when up. you see when you see a Zack Snyder thing, you're like, yep, that. But that's, but that's keep him. in mind there are other directors who do that that we love, like you know Wes Anderson or Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and we like them for that. But it's just Zack Snyder's isn't quite enough of a stick. Well, well to work. Okay, you know okay. I mean? So yeah, so like there, there's uh, there's more nuance to. Wes Anderson stuff, kind of like you know, uh, here's a here's a worse person than uh, Zack Snyder that will highlight the issue of you know oh that's who that is, and it's Michael Bay, oh. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, the the jostly camera, the the just too much going Exorbitant on. Put Zack Snyder above Michael Bay. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, okay, like he Michael Bay is the well, worse we'll version, we're, we're, but yeah. I will say he's good at the kind of movies he does, which yeah, is yeah. just very loud. And he picks the yeah. he know the important thing about him is he knows his lane and he stays in it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but you're not gonna see him okay. doing some like I want a slow drama done by Zach by Zack Snyder. <laughs> it will it will look slow. I'll say it with all the slow. That would be that would be like asking him to put his hands like under his lap. You know, just like put your yeah. hands down. Like it's like telling an Italian to not use the the finger thing, the three fingers. Yeah. Like I. Mm. I actually think I'm not a big defender of Zack Snyder. I don't. I think I probably like half of his movies. Mm-hmm. That's me too. But I think he gets too much heat in like, when you're when you're just reading mm-hmm. message boards and from oh yeah like critics and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. Three hundred is sexist. Yeah. Well, they really like to bag on him, and it's mostly for his, as you said, the style over substance. But in a way, I'm also like, that's what distinguishes this guy from like who directed Taken, like who directed Good these point. movies that are just. Like feel like nothing. Who? That is like, I'm not point. saying Taken's a bad movie, but like the there is no like directorial flourish yeah. to that movie that you can. They don't have a signature. He yeah. made a name for yeah. himself. Sweet. However, and, and d- also, is that necessary though? But also, I feel like since it's Snyder, people really like to hone in on on like oh, well, there's so much slow mo. Like it's like, but you look at a director like Scorsese. I'm not saying Snyder's on the level of Scorsese, but Scorsese has so many. So much like narration throughout his whole movie. It is constantly mm-hmm. someone narrating across the scenes, describing what's happening. And and if you like start to just focus on that, it almost ruins the experience because of how much they're doing it. And so I'm you're like, saying you don't like Scorsese? No. Wow. What I'm saying is like you just have to with Snyder. You just kind of have to embrace that. That's his style, you know, his style is slow mo and doing this stuff. But uh, no, he's like no the, Ryan Johnson. He, here's the thing: it's fine, but he like he steers into it sometimes when it's not necessary. Yeah, I, you know what I'm saying. No, like, and I, 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 agree. I actually and I actually think that his style is it's actually really fun in a lot mm-hmm. of movies. But also, you know, the 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 Dwayne Johnson like effect effect is that uh you know it's it never it doesn't often ascend super high but it's never like atrocious either yeah mm. you know You're what right i'm in saying the middle yeah it's it, it's like yep that's like that's him but uh but if he did steer into the more substance route um then he makes really good movies i think well yeah. and i think in our podcast in general we don't always give this kind of attention to directors but it feels like we should for the ones that make a name. 
yeah. that stand out in some way. And we've named yeah. a lot of them. But or, for better or worse, Zack Snyder does. Exactly. Uh, or at least ha- create some sort of controversy in conversation on their directing style, which mm-hmm. he definitely does. Like, there there are so many people that are like, oh, yeah, his movies are crap. He has nothing to say. Mm-hmm. This is not meaningful. And then others who will beg to differ and yeah. say, no, like, this was intentional. It's actually really smart. But nobody's ever really come yeah. to a consensus on that. What, but there's, I think there's, sorry, I think there's some ahead. truth to people who say that Zack Snyder doesn't really have a lot to say uh-huh. because some his best movies are based on other other people's work. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah. I, I think probably he does have things to say every now and then, but he, I, I think he's more of a a fan who directs he movies is. versus yeah. a someone who yep. comes up with, I don't know. Like I, I could see that. He's an entertainer. Ideas. Huh? Inter- he's an entertainer. Yeah. 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 And he's in the entertainment business. So. Yeah. He knows what succeeding. he likes and he puts it on screen. <laughs> yeah. I would be a Zack Snyder. Uh, I, I do kind of want to walk it back then for for me personally. I, I like thinking about it. I was like, man, you know, if I if I were Zack Snyder and I heard a bunch of like people on a podcast roasting my my <laughs> style, you yeah. know. When when it's actually not a bad style necessarily, I think we're defending him. Yeah, we're well, well, I I straight up defended him. No, you did, you did, but not all of us. Like, and I'm speaking about me as well. (laughs) Um, but I I also at the same time, as much as I want him to do other things and branch out, I also want him to stay the same because it's like you know that's who he is. Like, (laughs) why kill the the fun loving side? Yeah, you know he does what he enjoys. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll have a lot more Snyder talk in this episode. Uh, Let's let's get the the cast and the uh, everything else out of the way. So the movie stars Malin Ackerman, which I'm always I think I've brought this up in our previous recording, but. Malin Ackerman is top build in this movie, which mm. was a bit surprising to me. Really? Like, she's, like, if you look, if they were to make a poster of this movie and only include one actor up top on the title, it'd be Malin Ackerman. Who would it be uh, now? Today, I think, out of the cast, it would probably be Patrick Wilson yes. by... Or, yeah, I was thinking that as well. Or Jeffrey Dean Morgan by default. Jeffrey Dean Morgan would have mm. been, but he uh, wasn't No, probably Patrick Wilson, because he actually had a meteor role, but... Yeah. um. But yeah, I was, I was just kind of surprised by that. But in an ensemble cast like this, I guess someone has to go first. Wait, so. what, 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 what did she do before this? I don't even know. She was in Heartbreak Kid. She was in... Um, I think she did some theater work as well. Yeah. She was in some, and she was in a a Harold and Kumar movie, I think, as well. Like as not a, the main one, the first one, I think, actually. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yeah, I, I, she's that girl they meet I in the woods, burger. like at the hillbilly woods. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. that's her. Man, I'm not, but uh, I know that movie. I don't know how I pulled that out, but I, I remember that scene. Uh, yeah, the movie stars Malin Ackerman, Billy Crudup, Matthew Good, Carla Gugino, Jackie Earl Haley, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and Patrick Wilson. Carla it, Gugino could be up there too, probably. She, I, I know her more as a Netflix celebrity hey man, she versus a, Kids, I only know point. her from Spy Kids. She can't. Really. I don't think she could open a big movie <laughs> with though. Spy Kids as her resume. <laughs> I think yeah. If the if this were made recently, and Jeffrey Sin Dean City. Morgan would for sure be on the on the front of the cover. Yeah. Even even though he's he, he's I very would, crucial I, to the movie. It would co build even though he's not in it that much. Uh, written by David Hayter and Alex Say. I'm just or TSE. I, I I'm not even going to try to attempt to. Say yeah, that properly. yeah. Um, it's based on Watchmen by Alan Moore and uh, Dave Gibbons. Alan Moore was the writer and Dave Gibbons was the artist. Uh, and those fam- not familiar with Alan Moore, which 
He's probably one of the biggest names in comics. Uh, he is also responsible for the works of uh, Batman the Killing Joke, From Hell, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and V for Vendetta, among others. He's got some some good works. Yeah. Heavy hitters there. Yeah. And I do have a Alan Moore Wikipedia fun fact for y'all. Yeah? Uh, so Moore is an occultist, ceremonial magician, and is. anarchist, and has featured such themes and in works including Promethea, From Hell, and V for Vendetta, as well as performing avant-garde spoken word occult workings with the Moon and Serpent Grand Egyptian Theater of Marvels, some of which have been released on CD, which uh, I did not get around to listening to. Wow. What were those words you just said? <laughs> what were those words? But I'm like, everything about Alan Moore that I've heard is he's just, he seems like the most crotchety old man. Like, I'm I'm surprised he even gets up to do interviews with people, yet he does. It, it, it's almost like he likes the opportunity to complain. To just tear other things down. Yep. Yeah, because any, anytime <laughs> like, I hear interviews, they're never good. Negative. Yeah, they're well, never good. That anarchist side then. Uh, but seems like a really creative guy. Seems like he'd be really hard to work with. Yet this guy, Dave Gibbons, the artist, I guess, managed to make it work. Um, you know what his uh, mentality almost reminds me of sometimes is uh, David. You'll know this, but Rothko. Like when I was describing, <laughs> yeah, depressed. Well, it's. It's not just that, it's like a, just sort of a negative view on everything, and even with his own work, he's very, he, he likes to preserve it and doesn't believe in commercialism, mm -hmm. yet they still create art to some degree that people want, yeah. and I don't know, there's like this contradictory nature where what they're producing is both entertainment and for the enjoyment of, of other people but they'll still argue against that fact like yeah. no this isn't for you it's for well, it's like, mine for example with rothko he specifically said i don't want my art hanging on people's walls i don't want this to yeah be it's a not fine it's not meant thing. as adornment and guess what it is now for millionaires out there yeah. garbage yeah. <laughs> fine art hanging in their freaking living rooms yeah. and it would make him cry same thing with uh you know with our, uh, uh, what's his name? It's I just forgot. A more, Alan more, Moore. Alan Moore. There's just a similar energy when it comes to what they create. Yeah. It's it's so funny, too, because uh, Alan Gibb, or Dave Gibbons, the uh, the guy that did the art, he is more than willing to be a part of any uh, talk about the adaptations of this yeah. work. Like, you call up uh, Dave Gibbons, I'm there. I'll talk, I'll talk <laughs> positively about this. Watchmen movie, and whereas Alan Moore is like, I want nothing to do with this. All copies of Watchmen should be burned. He's like Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Tolkien. Wasn't wasn't Gibbons consultant on this movie to some extent? I if he was, he probably did, wasn't credited for it. But I, I I don't I I didn't I wasn't able to find that. All I know is that he allowed this movie to happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. and in um, defense of uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, I mean they were very revolutionary mm -hmm. and still are um prolific or what's the word influential and thank you influential yeah. in in comic books graphic novels right even the 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 graphic novel that is based on the nine panel style was somewhat unique so you can have this kind of structured effect um for the storytelling aspect of it mm -hmm. and alan moore is very i don't want to say controlling but he knows what he wants in mm -hmm. each panel whereas a lot of writers and storytellers will have the artist you know, fill in what they want, um, but more knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So and this is his child to, to a lot of extent. Yeah. And that comic book is, it is an oddly, it's 
beautiful in its ugliness in a way when you look at oh, it like yeah. uh the art yeah, style. V for Vendetta is a lot like that too. Yeah. yeah, a lot of unconventional colors that you wouldn't that that don't pop like a normal comic book movie would, but in its own way, it, it's so distinctive and and fitting for this. Um, it does feel like almost kind of going off what you were describing. AJ is it's like they were trying to make something beyond just comic books, or that almost feels like Moore's intent is that. No, these aren't just comic books. They're not, you know, just filler stuff mm-hmm. that you watch. This is art. This actually means something, you know. So, and you can definitely tell that when you read the comic books. Like, I remember I read V for Vendetta first mm-hmm. and then Watchmen after I had seen Watchmen because I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. So, it's. You get so engrossed in the storytelling when you're reading I feel like that it. was your your comic book awakening. Those, oh, yeah, those, for those sure. Those two, like, just really hit you at the right I, time. Like, I haven't really been stuck on comic books before, but with those, I just was very immersed in it. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. at the time, the age bracket I was in, it was very, like... Yeah. Angsty. Well, so <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the focus on these novels, I'll call them novels because they pretty much are. Um, it's a lot of angst and it's a lot of like trying to figure out um, sort of your philosophy on society and life in general. So, mm-hmm. well, the first movie that Irene and I watched was it uh, was an Alan Moore piece. We watched V for Vendetta. Yep. Well, yeah. I don't know movie. if he would stamp his approval on that. <laughs> Our one, relationship though. is stamped by Alan Moore. No, it's really that, sad because that movie's amazing. He, um, yeah, he did not like that movie what a chode honestly what i think uh <laughs> tell us how you really feel uh honestly what i think soured him might have been the the extraordinary gentleman movie because that i think that was the Can't first alan, that one alan moore adaptation out of the gate and while I'm, i won't say that's a bad movie it's definitely like a butchering of an original it, work in a way could also be drugs yeah. <laughs> it could also be that too but like yeah. look man and the whole occultist thing hugo weaving did your character better come on like oh oh that's uh that's a that's why you're really mad (laughs) you're probably not wrong dude Uh, uh, there's no one better than like hugo weaving as v weirdly enough uh only in voice yeah physical body of but his his his, like acting with his body though is so good. It, that uh, wasn't necessarily. I, was say, Hugo, I don't know though. if it was or wasn't. Him I think it, it wasn't. So Hugo there were, oh, there were like what? I didn't know that until just now. There wow. were like what three different people that went through. Well, the they need. They process. deserve a lot of credit. Though you'd recognize the guy who played the original. Um, oh, don't tell me it's the same guy who do does you know, all those like all the body movements. Body movement no, stuff. It's not him. Do you know? Does anyone know? I do, and I just have to. James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. He did the one of the voice, but did the performance. <laughs> James Purefoy, this guy. Oh wow. yeah, I know that guy. Yep. Okay, yeah. Wow, what right. a good combo. I was wrong there. They, they told him like, "We want you for your body." <laughs> Actually, all right. <laughs> all right. And this was a long lead up. Normally, we don't take this long, but it's Watchmen special episode. AJ's here. Uh, but We're for happy. those that are new to this show, on this podcast, we first go over our thoughts on the film before reviewing it for the episode. Then we dive into the story, break it down bit by bit, and talk about the more significant moments. Then towards the end of the show, we give our brief reviews and numbered scores, along with an analysis on the health of the franchise and whether or not this film hurt it. So, 
AJ, had you seen Watchmen before your prep for this episode? Yes, I had. Um, it distinctly, you know, has a place in my memory, really because it kind of threw off a lot of, I don't know, tropes or expectations I had of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it engaging and well-made, but just leaves you kind of feeling depressed because, you know, the guy you're rooting for, all he was doing was trying to fight crime and ends up just dying. And I don't know. It's hmm. still... There's a few I don't know. guys that you're rooting for and not Is rooting for. I, I just, Night I don't know how we Watch? left out Jake Gyllenhaal in our top billing Was that Nightwatch? What? Or what What was it Night, called? No, Night, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler? No. No, not Nightcrawler. End of Watch. End of oh. Watch. End of Watch. Damn. Oh. I was close. I Ish. love these games. I like that movie a lot, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but it is not the movie that we watched. Uh, Watchmen, what about however, Watchmen? <laughs> yeah, Watchmen, I had seen in theaters remember liking it even though my roommates were like this is weird <laughs> um read the graphic novel and have seen watchmen a handful of times before and for this viewing i did watch the ultimate cut but i did skip the uh the black freighter segments just oh, okay you know for time's sake and so. for the our first recording you had just seen the theatrical right or did no, you you just saw the same version. okay yep. cool Irina. Uh, yes, I have seen this before. Um, I actually specifically remember my first time watching it because it was the weekend of my birthday, I think, because it came out March 6th, my yep. exact birthday. Yep, and <laughs> it's crazy. We watched it together. I just remember, you know how there are movies where you you clock them based on just a film that kind of changed the way you watched movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was one of them because I at the time I was like, what, 15, 16? I can't remember. But there, there have been a few movies, like a handful of movies in my life where I've watched them and you just sit there afterwards going like, wow, I need to contemplate this for a few days. <laughs> and this was it. It was just so visually stimulating for me. I, I loved how all the scenes were framed. And a lot mm-hmm. of that credit goes to the graphic novel, which I found out later because mm-hmm. I had read it afterwards. And, and there are scenes that are just... Halloween too. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Actually, it was a that, good costume. Yeah, the Halloween afterwards. I And I remember like drawing in the face mask. You had a with, good costume. Yeah. With Sharpie, yeah. which was a bad idea because I was inhaling the Sharpie <laughs> like that whole How night. many people did you kill that night? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, Only the ones that deserved it. It's a... She'll tell you after the recording. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just I loved this movie and it's strange that you can have a movie so high in your ranking, but not see it that much. Mm-hmm. It's one where you can see it once and you feel like you don't need to see it for years until yeah. you decide, OK, I'm ready, ready for my next viewing. It's of not Watchmen. that rewatchable. It's not. And that's not a criticism, but it's. It's so vivid too in your mind. Yeah. You, you remember all the scenes. I don't. I don't think there's ever been a time where I forget the details of what happens. Mm-hmm. It's just it, and it's partly just the way the scenes are framed, and a lot of again, a lot of that credit goes to the comic book as well because they're almost exactly alike. Um, yeah. So that's my experience with it, David. Oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Oh, gosh, I don't remember the first time, but it was introduced to me by Irina, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, 
and I didn't read the whole novel, but before I even watched the movie, I believe Irina actually gave me the the copy she had, um, and I may or may not have lost it and never gave it back. I can't remember. What a loser. Yeah, I think I had um, to buy a new one. I think I lost it. And uh, that just shows how great of a person I am. But <laughs> I read a good bit of it, and I also watched the movie right afterward, and it is something that probably didn't influence me the same way that it influenced you guys, but regardless, is just a good movie. Like I'm just going to say it right now. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Noah, how about you? I have seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Sit. You had to have had a, a memory from when you first saw it. Yeah, do you remember the first time you saw it? I don't. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it just seems yeah. like one that I, I don't remember the first have. time I saw it. I just know that I liked it a lot. So when we watched well, it, Reese, was it just you and me? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it clearly influenced you if you dressed yeah. up as Silk Spectre for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the, the old oh no, version. that was just his own invention. Actually, it was Silk Spectre too. Yeah, and then Reese was the comedian. So he was. You can tell that, that actually went. is true. I yeah. did dress up as a comedian once. <laughs> you was did it the same yeah. year, or were you? <laughs> no, that was no, much different. Was, oh, but you yeah. did dress up as another Zack Snyder character that same yeah. year. Leonidas. Leonidas. Yeah. Oh, this was more recent. There was a DC party. AJ oh. was there. You were there. I was DC there. DC party. Yeah, you were there. Noah was Riddler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I went as Two Faced. Yeah. yeah. Arena, you yeah. went as, uh, what's mm-hmm. her name? The Zatanna. Zatanna. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's all flooding. Yeah, back. No, I, I blocked <laughs> that part out of my brain. I, but there was also a Marvel party we went to as well. So my there brain was? was like, yeah, I went as Star Lord. AJ w- went as uh, Iron Man. All right. This is compelling. I would have been. For I know. Our, uh, yeah. This is very compelling. Our listeners here. Um, for my part, I had seen Watchmen, saw it with Arena, same day, yeah. I think. Uh, it was also a, it's weird to say, it was a formative movie for me where I, I, it was like, oh, superhero movies can be more. Yeah. They can, I know people like to crap on this movie, which is weird, and I don't understand that, but it did the same thing for comic book movies to me that the original uh, comic did for comic books, where it deconstructed superheroes as mm-hmm. we know them and showed it in a different, darker, more realistic light, whereas... Before, all we had were Spider-Man and X-Men and uh, these, like, the superhero movie was still kind of a new thing, but it was it was starting to change, I guess. And it, this is when the winds of change were coming to the superhero genre. And this was the first big one in my mind uh, to really, like, I don't know, push against what a, a, your traditional superhero movie can be. Yes, Other we had. Other than Hancock. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was after this. Was it? Yeah. Uh, it, or it was, same year? No, two thousand eight, I think. Two thousand nine, two thousand eight. Okay, whatever. Hancock, man, throw that <laughs> movie out. throw that movie out. That all I'm trying to say is this is not this is not Spider Man. This is not X Men, and it was done in an artful way, and it, it like shot like cool, like like just cinematography matters more in this than mm. it did. I'm not saying it didn't in the other ones, but like it's very, uh, I don't know. It just kind of opened my mind to what this genre could be. And yes, we had movies like Sin City and V for Vendetta that were based off of graphic novels, but they Mm -hmm. weren't like superhero stories. And this one was. Um, And Snyder storyboarded this with, you know, parallels to the the panels in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. And the symbolism carries over. Yep. You know, it shifts a little bit, but. Yeah. Yeah. it, It brings a whole different view 
to an audience that's not familiar with comic books. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, of what comic book storytelling is like. Mm-hmm. And I just remember just being real surprised by it and just like, because I was one of those, the few that wasn't really blown away by 300. So I kind of had my expectations in check. But I just remember going into this and being just amazed and, and just, it was one of the few movies where every shot was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah. Uh, man, that is, and, in Every hindsight. shot could be a screensaver. Yeah, exactly. It was Kinda one of the like first a, ones of those, hey, <laughs> like Lord of the Rings. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, here you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely had seen it. Uh, but again, like Irina, I didn't rewatch this one much. It's not that rewatchable. As you said, mm-hmm. it just it's ingrained in your mind, and it's uh, not exactly easy watching oh yeah you you don't really want to go through the story arc more than once every few years but there might be people out there who would say different (laughs) with that said david you want to give us that call to action gather around people wherever you roam (laughs) which character is that from whatever podcast that you (laughs) must listen and then you must go on apple podcasts and give us a five star because we just asked. It's pretty good, actually. That was that, actually really yeah. good. pretty good, actually. I mean, he's impressed with his own genius. It's good because that's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm well, joking. That is a, a credit to Snyder's style where it does work. Yeah. yeah. Shout outs to Bob Dylan for having a lot of influence. Or well, Zack Snyder uh, pulled a lot of Bob Dylan stuff into this mm-hmm. because it was influential in both the novel and stuff. But regardless, I think you just did one of my favorite uh, call to actions. That, I've that was a really good <laughs> Thank one. You. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review because that inputs the algorithm that we are better than everybody, uh, as that you input. know, just by <laughs> Perfect listening grammar. to this. Perfect grammar. Completely ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not here to be great. I'm here to have fun. <laughs> and I want people to also have fun. So give us a five-star review because you enjoy listening to us and you want us to actually bump ahead of other people. Otherwise, we're going to fade into the distance and then keep doing this for no cost. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. We have an Instagram. We had a Twitter. We got a YouTube, uh, which, by the way, we are uh, over 500 uh, subscribers on YouTube, which is kind of crazy. Cool. So there's that. Yeah, there you go. Um, thank you. With that said, we're going to come back to you, David, with that story. Oh, yeah.
1985, a man in a Manhattan apartment watches news about escalating Cold War tensions and the response from five-term president Richard Nixon when an unseen assailant attacks him and hurls him to the street below. A credits montage reviews the rise of costume crime fighters from 1939 to 1977, culminating in a public backlash in passage of an anti-vigilante act. Rorschach, a vigilante detective who operates illegally, discovers that the dead man was Edward Blake, better known as the Comedian, a costume hero who worked for the government. Suspecting that other vigilantes could be attacked, he warns members of his former team, the Watchmen. Rorschach's former partner Dan Dryberg, or Night Owl II, believes he is, he is paranoid but relays his concern to Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias a crime fighter turned businessman. Rorschach visits John Osterman, also known as Dr. Manhattan, a physicist whose accidental powers make, superpowers makes him a national security asset, but Osterman is, a preoccupi is preoccupied with energy research and ignores him. At Blake's funeral, Osterman, Veidt, and Dryberg each recall the comedian's uh, pessimism in his, latter, in his later years about the Watchman's mission. After the service, a lone mourner pays his respects. Rorschach tracks down and questions the mourner, formerly super, former supervillain Edgar Jacoby, also known as Moloch. Jacoby says that Blake had recently broken into his apartment while he was sleeping, tearful, unmasked, and incoherent. Rorschach is astonished, but doubts that Jacoby would tell a lie so bizarre. During a press interview with Osterman, in... in an investigative journalist tells him that several people who had contact with him had developed cancer, including his former girlfriend. As other reporters mob Osterman with questions, he shouts to be left alone. Escaping to Mars, he reflects on his existence as Dr. Manhattan and his regrets at being turned into a weapon. In his absence, the Warsaw Pact countries make aggressive moves and Nixon prepares for war. Can I break us into this? Yeah. Yeah. So... The comic book and the and the movie does this to some extent as well, um, but the the first half of the story is almost like uh, vignettes of each character and how they relate to the comedian, and the comedian is kind of the hub, uh, and then we go off of a kind of a hub and spoke model of how all these characters remember how they first met the comedian or interacted with them, and so the storytelling kind of goes in some flashbacks as well as some some current events. Mm -hmm. um, all, all revolving around the comedian. So it starts with the comedian, but doesn't necessarily revolve around him the, the rest of the film. Right. He, they, they come together on their own outside of him. He's the one that brings them together. Yeah, so when I was doing my notes, I actually have a lot of like, at one point, like I started off kind of like talking about things in the story, but it ended, it turned into like, oh, uh, Jackie Earl Haley as... The comedian. This is a nice little wraparound that encapsulates this story. Like it, it really is kind of based off of how everyone reflects on the death and the life of the comedian. And you're totally right. Um, so, did you want to go character by character? I think that makes sense based on how they lay out the film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we can set up the set the chess pieces here first, real quick. So the movie opens with uh, news about. Tensions with Russia, the whole uh, Dr. Manhattan is uh, kind of a nuclear deterrent, so it's almost a... The, the uh, graphic novel came out in 1985, so we were still kind of in Cold War territory. Uh, so this, you have to imagine, is kind of playing off of 
some of that. It's definitely sure. Cold War territory. Um, uh, but then we're quickly hustled into the comedian's death. It's all to that song, the uh, Unforgettable. Which, by the way, like out of all of Zack Snyder's songs or, or Zack Snyder's movies, I think this one has the best like track list of just oh, there's n- so needle- many good songs, so many good this. needle drops here. Uh, which he prefers, by the way, Zack Snyder is much more of a contemporary music person versus like orchestrated or, or, you know, well, actually we ran into that too with, um, Quentin Tarantino where he's like, he pulls music based on like, this is the mood I want for what's going on. Yeah. And by contemporary, I don't mean just like modern music, but just non, um, like getting, it's it's not like getting a composer to create a whole, uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we see the comedian's death, uh, lots of slow-mo here. Some of it, I feel like is it, it. It's almost the movie just landed it out on the table, saying like, "It's a Zack Snyder movie. Come on, guys, you like mm. it? Looks cool. Just embrace it." I almost kind of wish that this scene was not in slow mo until the final like glass throw. Like, mm. I think that's a mm-hmm. very essential slow mo scene because mm. it just totally captures that frame from the comics. Uh-huh. But uh. But then again, the unforgettable song works better when it's not like fast. It so. gives you time to listen to it, honestly. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's almost know. like a dance at that point. Yeah. Did y'all like the opening sequence here? Yeah. Oh yeah. It immerses th- you immediately. I think this is from what I remember of the theater experience, it's one of those scenes where everyone's just completely silent, you know? And I think there's something so compelling about the camera work and the way all the scenes are choreographed that Mm -hmm. everyone feels just sort of transfixed on what's going on. You don't really feel like talking during this movie because there's so much happening in a short period of time. Your eyeballs are glued to the screen because it's all very pleasing to the eye. Yeah. And you don't really want to miss a beat because if you do, someone's talking about something really significant and... If you miss that, then you sort of lose what's going on with the story. Mm-hmm. But this scene, I just remember being just sort of burned into my brain because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension in a very short amount of time. And this mystery that ensues, you're like, who was that? Mm-hmm. Why was he killed? You know, what's the significance with the button? I don't know. It's it's a very good intro. Yeah. So this quickly moves into our opening montage sequence that this is another thing that Zack Snyder does so well. These these uh, montages that establish where we're at while also like, you know, giving you oh here the the star credits like the opening credits scene. Have you seen the Dawn of the Dead one? Yeah. Johnny Cash. Amazing. He follows that up. with Was that Ring of Fire? No, no. Never mind. It was, uh, which one was it? It was, um, oh gosh, why am I blinking on this? We'll come back to it. Anyway, it's a, it's a Johnny Cash song, but he, I think he ups it in this one with this, uh, Bob Dylan song. It's very long, but it like justifies its length because it's doing a lot of heavy lifting and just showing you the history of like the kind of some of the Minutemen and how they fell and how the new heroes rose up and how we no longer have superheroes and why all that happened. It's very economic storytelling while also just doing the opening credits that any, any other movie wouldn't even bother to establish much, but it does. It's it really does a great job of laying the groundwork while just 
perfectly picked song, uh, AJ. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And for all of us who are kind of, you know, I guess Gen Y or whatever you want to call us. Millennials, probably. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're a quick yeah. to that. No, we're um, not quite millennials. Anyway, for the this this period of time, the comic book definitely has social commentary. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not even an argument. <laughs> not even a question. Uh, this movie does, you know, follows that. It doesn't really hit home on it, in my opinion. Uh, but I won't dig into that as much. But it does kind of bring you to the time and place of this and really makes you immersed in the at least some of the culture mm-hmm. um, of what's going on and, and the social sentiment, the you know, the the discontent of society. Yeah. And, you know, the who watches the watchmen and just the dystopic, you know, nightmarish reality that they're in now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where these are heroes, but they're also, you know, ugly. Um and you know the the whole button with the blood splatter is supposed to signify the the doomsday clock with the mm-hmm. twelve minutes to midnight or in the movie eight minutes to midnight uh, with you know the nuclear threat and existential threat ex- excuse me existential threat of nuclear annihilation of the Cold War that was so pervasive in that time that you know I think people now growing up that are younger don't really understand of the Cold War Cold War. Yeah, and Watchmen was really all about, you know, telling that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie does to some extent. I think it falls short a little bit, uh, but that was just so emblematic of what Watchmen was about. Um, yeah, that that happy face sy- symbol and the Doomsday Clock was literally every single issue, um, and to some, you know, in- involved and integrated to the story itself. Uh, but yeah, the, the storytelling, the motifs of the songs and everything, kind of it, it it does go along to get you to feel, or at least expect what is uh coming. In yeah. Mm-hmm. Did did any of you guys have parents that talked about the Cold War growing up? No. Because mine did. Mine didn't. I don't really? think. Not really. No. no, no. Really. My dad. I mean, I I swear it's a topic of conversation on the regular. Um, it's like, did you realize how intense the Cold War actually was? Growing through it, like. Russia is a big deal, you know, it's uh, the whole thing. He talks about how, you know, when he was a kid going through it, it's once you hear about it and then talk to your grandparents or your dad or whoever went through it, it's weird, like hearing about it because they're like, they really did feel like it was doomsday going to happen immediately. And so I I feel like because of that tie with me and my dad, I I, it it resonated with me more than I expected it to. Just that one point anyway. Yeah, for it, it, you know. Just another point of example there, you know, we look at learning about the Cold War about duck and cover drills and we're like, mm, that's mm-hmm. dumb. Duh. You can't yeah. sit under your desk and survive a nuclear blast. <laughs> of course you can't. They knew that. It was something psychological to focus your mind away from that. Yeah. Because otherwise you feel like you have a nuclear bomb pointed, a gun pointed at your head all at all times. Yeah. And really that, that sense of existential dread is like the best way of putting it. Yeah. It's really, mm-hmm. you know so well portrayed in the graphic novel that I wish this movie did more right? in in portraying. Um, It does a little bit, but I think it could have gone a little bit stronger. And that's its main weak point, in my my opinion, uh, where it kind of tells the story without having the heart behind why that story is being told. Yeah, it kind of tells it on a superficial level. Um, All right, so at this point, we are introduced to Jackie Earl Haley as Rorschach. 
Uh, he's kind of straight up lifting the dialogue from the comic, very Batman voicey, describing what's going on with the city. Uh, we get a very grim picture of where we're at in uh, NYC uh, during the time of this. Um, 1980s. And yeah, also this movie establishes itself as a murder mystery slash detective noir pretty early on. Like a Ryan Johnson uh, film. It doesn't stay that way throughout the whole thing, but I think coming back to the comedian, this movie is very centralized around his death. Mm-hmm. And uh, since he was one of the few, what makes him interesting is he's the only Minutemen who transitioned into being one of the modern... Part one, part two. Part one and part two. So he's been able to... have affect lives on both right. teams which i feel like he really is the important i don't know binding thread in this movie uh but let's talk about jackie Earl haley as rorschach real quick uh how do we feel about his portrayal and this character uh, so good arguably the best one in this he's so good arguably i mean i think there are a lot of people in this that are kind of on par with that i said arguably but he's, I, I think there's something about the character that's very compelling, and he does a good job. So you have to have, he has the body language down, which is usually, if you're a masked character, very yeah. important. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Irina, you, you strike me as the one who, who is maybe his biggest fan. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of idolized him when I first I think he likes faceless masked characters it's, who... It's that, but also, and the reason I loved V from V for Vendetta too was that it was more so I idolized characters that were almost beyond human in a way. They sort of embodied an idea instead of actual people with mm-hmm. their own likes and dislikes. That's especially or drawing V right there. Personal p- pleasures and stuff like that. It's just a. They operated on a larger level than just their immediate needs, but that's kind of how I perceived them at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially in this movie where Rorschach, maybe not the same code as V, but no, definitely he is, not. As his has his character is easily representative of black and white. Like he mm-hmm. is all about there is right and there is wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. There is no in between for him in this, and that's it's endearing, but also like we at least for me anyway, I believe in gray. Like I think there is not just yeah. good mm-hmm. and bad, black and white, and I, it makes his character really fascinating to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I know you really think there are fifty shades of gray. You really subscribe to that. So <laughs> David's favorite franchise. Oh but um, <laughs> yeah, Rorschach really uh, appeals to s- parts of all of us that want justice seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite, you know, whatever the red tape might be. Now, Rorschach can have an episode all into himself. You know, obviously, the, the inkblot test that is on his face, yeah. you know, there's a lot of psychological call to to read what he's all about. Yeah. Um, and, and this movie kind of, I don't want to say it, it, it two-dimensionalizes him. It does to some extent, but it has to have a frame of reference at which, which this story is told. Right. Yeah. And he is the most compelling person the most relatable definitely to an extent um at least some part of us can re- can relate or understand his mo and w- how he thinks and operates whether it's flawed or unflawed um, yeah there's there's conversation there to be had but you know framing this story through rorschach is definitely a positive take and and a change that 
uh, I would say Zack Snyder even increased how Rorschach is almost the protagonist um, so that we can kind of have the film adaptation of what this story is versus, you know, what might be otherwise a scattered yeah. uh, a set of, you know, vignettes or something like that. Um, yeah. And Jackie Earl Haley is the perfect embodiment of Rorschach. And yeah, he does a great He job. goes to One of his best roles, I think, and maybe his best. What else know. has he done? Uh, so he played Freddy Krueger. Oh, <laughs> wait. No, 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 no. He, he played the original Freddy Krueger. Not the original. No, the, no, the remake. Okay, I was Which, like, what the heck? I still that say to this sense, day, though. he should have been Carnage instead of Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... He's that's, been in a lot of other better stuff, but uh, that's the... I don't know why that... But that's the first thing that randomly popped into my head. So this movie is all about deconstructing superheroes as we know them, or the graphic novel was at least in this movie, follows suit. Uh, I know the the knee-jerk reaction is to go to Rorschach as, like, the Batman, but I think he's more Daredevil. Like, it's more of a... Because mm. the Batman, playboy, you know, vigilante by night, but during day he's... I don't know, he's, he's doing just fine. But uh, Daredevil is mucking it his whole life i think like, you're drafting off of the dark gritty appeal of that yeah. and you know early rorschach but when he was in his prime and in partnership with the night owl was on point in his detective work yeah um and the the detective era of batman versus maybe the nolan era that many of us are familiar with yeah and so that co- comparison calls to mind especially with the grapnel and and really scouting out crime scenes and that kind of thing. Uh, Rorschach kind of has developmentally frayed, I guess we could say, yeah. in the course of at least the, the graphic novel storytelling where he's more prone to conspiracy and extreme thought mm. than true detective work. And, you know, it's exemplified by him going to bars just completely unrelated to the crime and beating mm. people up to try to get some kind of knowledge about it. But, it, but we say. see that that's the, the, the theme of, or one of the themes of this story is these people who are, are masquerading as heroes. Are they doing justice or are they, you know, self, self fulfilling what they want done. Mm-hmm. And Rorschach is, is, you know, a prime, a prime character that is, is telling all of those, those story points. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, this movie moves on from uh, we get our Rorschach scene and we transition to uh, Patrick Wilson's character, uh, the Night Owl, who he's having a meeting with the older Night Owl, uh, Howell, Harold. He had some, I forget what his the other guy's name was, but um, Patrick Wilson. I this performance grows on me more and more. Mm-hmm. Like I think he is subtly the the heart of this movie. Yeah, where he's he's your he's almost an everyman hero, and you. I think where Zack Snyder struggles is with writing, like mm-hmm. like dialogue. But somehow Patrick Wilson turns those lines into something that works, whereas mm-hmm. Malin Ackerman can't. And like, or or at least, or Malin Ackerman, maybe she just has the worst lines because i i think you're being too harsh personally i don't think she's bad by the way i don't think she's bad i i just think like some of the lines like i had one here where it was just like wow you really made her say that oh yeah but (laughs) i think fingers are like licking a battery and like when she says that i'm like why did you have to say that well i mean (laughs) i can imagine licking a battery i know you can i I know but (laughs) is that something you want to say when you're like i don't know 
I think yeah. we can say from, you know, mm-hmm. watching, uh, what was it? The other Snyder movie we covered. Sucker Punch. Thank you. Yeah. Snyder's uh, female portrayal is... A bit leaves something desired. Sometimes. He yeah. strikes me well, as someone who wants to to portray them strongly, but doesn't quite... Now, yeah, yeah. there is a, a something to be said that uh, the Silk Spectre or Sally Jupiter here, you know... She's trying to create an identity away from being literally Dr. Manhattan's, you know, physical object of, you know, releasing mm-hmm. whatever attention. She That's her job is literally, you know, a whore almost, you know, for yeah. Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to break out of that role. And so, yes, her dialogue definitely. What a weird dynamic they have, it, by it's the way. Absolutely. About it. Yeah, yeah, it is like, weird. Well, I and it's not a, even just Zack Snyder. I remember watching a video breaking it down, and that one of the issues that people had before this movie, even with with uh, what's his name, uh, Alan Moore, was that he trivialized his female characters to have their main form of their character centered around a male protagonist. Yeah. So no matter what happened, it had to do with them and whatever was going on with the person, the other guy that they were connected so with. You're saying Alan yeah. Moore doesn't I, pack the. I passed the Bechdel test. I think no. it's, well, I don't know if that even should I didn't really come it, into the discussion so much as the intent of her character is she was put into that position by her mother, who is also mm-hmm. a sex symbol mm-hmm. and has her own history that's very complicated, especially yeah. with the comedian. And she has all this background and depth of, of you know, origin and things. And she was forced into this suit that's a, a sex object. You know, as 16 years old, that's all she's known. Mm-hmm. This life is she, all she knows how to do. And so she's trying to find her way out of this and try to find who she is in relation to the Watchmen or, you know, these other masked heroes who, what are they fighting for in society? Mm-hmm. And yeah. she has been relegated to this position by other people, external forces. And that's actually a sub-theme for all of these characters and how they deal with external forces and what they do to choose their own destiny. Dr. Manhattan faces that question. Uh, The Night Owl faces that question. Rorschach, the comedian, all of these characters have to deal with external forces and how it defines them versus who they choose to be, whether it's behind a mask or not. Um, And that's a lost opportunity, I would say, in this movie because Malin Ackerman, her acting ability can definitely you know, pull that off. Yeah. I think she really deserved better lines to be able to develop mm-hmm. that character more in that area. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying because I think her performance is good. It is literally just the the lines that she's given. And some of them, I think, work better than others. But every now and, now and then, it was it would be the few times where she would just, like, deliver a clunker. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, I don't it know It does about that force one. the character to become yeah. a little bit wooden. But her body language and just... Like it is perfect for the yeah. character. I feel like it's it's like I remember her catching a lot of flack for this movie, and I don't think that she is to blame for I th- that. I think in the movie, the nice thing about their connection, um, both the Silk Spectre two, I guess, and mm-hmm. um, Night Owl two, <laughs> yeah, is that they actually do go through a bit of a transformation throughout the film mm-hmm. where. Before, they were both acting as kind of, you know, just sitting in the back seat a little bit. Like, he's sort of just staying, trying to be a, oh, I'm just a citizen. I'm not really involved in the way things go because, you know, that's 
the law now. Like, we can't really act as superheroes anymore. Mm-hmm. She's relegated to this role as just support to Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. And between the two of them, they decide to take action and start acting out against, you know, the violence in their society, basically. So I like you had mentioned that um, his character has grown on you. And yeah. I think his character grows on me as the movie progresses, even though it's kind of like a minor transformation. In the beginning, you see him sort of like hunched over. He has kind of like this He's got this goofy, aw shucks like Yeah, shucksy doodle yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the end of it, he's he's standing upright, he's speaking more directly and forcefully. So it's yeah. there's this confidence that's regained. Yeah. So it's you get sort of distracted by everything else, but if you really focus on his character, it's kind of nice to see that change. Yeah. Yeah, it really um where this is a little ahead of what we covered in the in the plot synopsis so far, but since we're on her character mm-hmm. in relation to Dreidberg, I how do you feel about their chemistry? I think it's actually really well done yeah. in contrast between I guess not Sally Jupiter, but Euspestic is her her real name as she tells Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's trying to create this own identity that mm-hmm. she can't find with Dr. Manhattan. Um, and, and Dreidberg allows her to be real and have her own agency. Yeah. And especially when they go to, to visit Hollis, you know, they, they counter these guys in the back alley, the top knots and they, you know, she fights and can be herself yeah. and, and is empowered in that, in that sense. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see at least, you know, even if she has some bummers of a line, here and there, you know, she still gains agency she in her own right. Right. Yes. And she, in fact, is kind of the final straw that gets him to stand up, too. Like, she sort of inspires his initiative to go out there and make a difference later on. We're not mm-hmm. quite there yet, but. Yeah. All right. So. Moving on, we we talked about Patrick Wilson as Night Owl and got into some Silk Spectre talk there. Um, let's talk about our next uh, hero, or not hero, but a member of the Watchmen, I guess, that we haven't discussed yet. We have a scene with Matthew Good, who plays uh, Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias. Uh, this guy's kind of uh, become like an Elon Musk type figure but regarded better that's not a that's not because uh, in this he is technically the world's smartest man and when you say that elon musk is more close i would say he's more like a mr fantastic yeah yeah okay read richards so he's become a bit of a a a mr fantastic there you go universe (laughs) um where he's uh he's regarded as a very smart person but Maybe the thing is he's also Dr. like a he, he owns a company he's a yeah, he is a celebrity essentially yeah. he's a, he is a ceo and he's the guy that you might see on the front of a magazine cover uh regarding the next innovation in something big yeah like it, it's uh but yeah w- what do y'all think about matthew good as ozymandias adrian veidt and uh, his role in this film as his character goes it doesn't get enough time as, i agree as he the needs actor more time. goes uh he's very good i think when i think ozymandias like his face pops in my head he I, is he, he's good at when he has his scenes he's just yeah in a long movie filled with so many different people who are fighting mm-hmm. for screen time mm-hmm. 
he he kind of gets one of the shorter ends of the yeah. stick. I think yeah, I think two of my slight nitpicks with this movie are within that same area of like two characters not getting enough time, and it's both the comedian and Ozymandias. I'm, I'm actually happy with the the screen time we get of him because really, you get enough separation Ozymandias? from yeah, I get, you get mm. enough separation from him to the point where you you mm. know there's something up with him, but you're also like. You're so transfixed by everything else that you forget that he's maybe uh, like well, yeah, pulling but the strings and everything. This is where you know, you, Noah believes in having a a five movies, five movies or no, a, TV a TV show, show. which I think agree. I, I, I think it would. Help. I did say before that this would make a great TV show. There is a and TV it, show. However, you can watch it. However, here's the thing: there, there's not enough Ozymandias in this movie for you to understand his full relevance to the story. Until well, I, the end, exactly. That's yeah, what I'm but saying. the but, but that's the problem. Not that's the reveal. Up. Like the there, yeah. There's a reveal, but there's not much of a build up to the reveal. This movie has so much work to do. Though, that's what I'm saying. It's like I am. It's a, it's fine a four and a half with, hour movie. Before we get into that, I think David should read the next two paragraphs of the plot. Should we? I, I, we're just talking about Ozymandias, but I can. We're we're verging. I think it'll help us. With yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Honestly, we're just talking characters, so let's go ahead and just. Paragraph. I'll just read it. Veidt survives an assassination attempt, suggesting that Rorschach's mass killer theory is correct. Dryberg takes in Laurie Jupiter, who is Silk Spectre II, a second-generation vigilante and a strange friend of Osterman, for protection. Rorschach's investigation of the assassin leads him back to Jacoby. While attempting to question Jacoby again, Rorschach is framed for his murder, arrested and unmasked as a low-born vagrant. In prison, he defends his vigilantism to a psychiatrist, saying that he cannot ignore evil and the people who cause it. Dryberg and Jupiter, growing nostalgic for their crime-fighting days, put on their costume and break Rorschach out of prison. Osterman teleports Jupiter to Mars, <laughs> Jupiter to Mars, <laughs> while Dryberg joins Rorschach's investigation of the Blake murder. Evidence points them to Vite as the mastermind. They find him at an Antarctic hideout. Him at an Antarctic hideout. That's hard to say. Yeah. Just saying. At an Antarctic hideout, <laughs> where he has just overseen an activation of Osterman's energy reactors in New York and the other world cities. On Mars, Jupiter tries to convince Osterman that humanity is worth saving and succeeds only when he learns that Jupiter is Blake's illegitimate daughter. A fact so unlikely that it restores his respect for life. Veidt admits orchestrating Osterman's exile, staging the assassination, framing Rorschach, and killing Blake who was spying on his activities. He has also executed the final step of his plan, turning the world against Osterman by rigging his reactors to explode, killing 15 million people. Osterman returns with <laughs> Jupiter to a devastated New York, pieces together what has happened, and teleports to Veidt's hideout. After a brief struggle, Veidt shows him that the countries of the world have put aside their rivalries to focus on a common enemy. Realizing the logic of Veidt's plan, the Watchmen agree to keep his secret, with the exception of Rorschach, whom Osterman kills to preserve the new global peace. Osterman departs permanently for another galaxy. Dryberg re rebukes Veidt's moral sacrifice, and Jupiter finally comes to terms with her parentage. A New York tabloid editor, disgusted that there is no war to report on, tells a reporter to grab something from a box of crank submissions that contains Rorschach's journal. So, right, that's it. yeah. I think I primarily wanted you to read that so that, uh, you know, we can kind of flesh out Ozzy's intentions and, you know, it is kind of the reveal of the movie. 
And in the, the, the comic book or the graphic novel, it goes into more detail of how he was the one actually giving people cancer and orchestrating this from the very beginning. Yeah. And so to Noah's point, you know, he could have really had a lot more breadcrumbs laid out to that. Yes, he has all this, you know, on paper good ideas, but, you know, does the the methodology and... Um, Do the ends justify yes, the Yes, thank you. That's the expression. Mm. You know, he is he a bad guy in, in creating mm. for the greater good this this ex- explosion? This utilitarian sort of Right, and method. using everybody, especially Dr. Manhattan... Who Dr. Manhattan again exemplifies this theme of external forces controlling his life, even though he's become the most powerful physical being in the universe, he's still kind of limited by expectation yeah. and circumstance. So, yeah, that's why I wanted you to read that ahead, just so we can kind of explore yeah. them as well. Do you like the portrayal of this character? Do you like the uh, ha- how he's implemented in this movie and uh, uh, Matthew Good's performance? We're talking about Ozzy? Yeah. I do. I, I like his performance. I, I agree with Noah that I, I wanted a little bit more from him ahead of time uh, before the reveal um, and kind of, you know, maybe have some more red herrings of so that we're on this trip of discovery with Rorschach yeah. and the conspiracy and delve into that more. Whereas before it's like, oh, you know, Ozzy's this just perfect guy and oh, of course he's the villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas before, you know, it's it's more sinister where he really truly believes and has this ego that he is the the pinnacle of of humanity. Yeah. And it is his responsibility to save everybody, you know, whether or not their choices are involved or not. Well, this goes into it, but not as much as it should have. Well, and playing off of what you said earlier, Reese, where you're comparing Ozymandias to Elon Musk, there is a lot of sort of social commentary uh, going back to whether or not people who have that kind of money and power can influence where the world is going. So whether or not you compare him to anyone in our current day, it's more the fact that somebody who thinks he's so intelligent and has the money and capability puts it on himself to decide whether or not people live or die for the greater good. Agree with them or disagree with them. It's like, does anyone deserve that kind of power? I think that's the kind of message that, that you know, Moore was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Which, and movie, and yeah. I think that the actor himself does a very good job of portraying. Mm. Yeah, just standing there stoically and saying, this is what I'm I'd, doing. I'd say the one difference, though, uh, um, it's a major one, is that they portray Ozymandias as being very charismatic, um, like very well-liked and... The public opinion of him is very good. Yeah. Whereas Elon Musk, it's well, kinda... there was a point where he did have that kind of uh, sway. Mm. There was yeah, a very yeah, long time. Yeah, not anymore. He was in Iron Man too. Come on, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> was he really? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's like at, the, at one of the like conventions. Donald Trump in yeah. uh, in Home Alone yeah. too. Yeah. Right. Right um, now, he doesn't have a very good yeah. public opinion. I just think I it's very ironic that he's the one that everyone knows the identity of, but they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Even though he's in charge of so many things. Yeah. Yep. But the main difference is that he is charismatic. Yeah. Which yeah. is very accurate to the way people treat a lot of politics these days. Is mm-hmm. If you're very charismatic, you can pretty much get away with a lot mm-hmm. and people yep. will trust you. But nobody else is, especially those that have 
very yeah. outright opinions on things. Yeah. This character has the audacity to wield the most powerful being in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Dr. Manhattan. Um, and gets away with it. Yeah. Well, um, he uses him as a nuke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, he he kind of... Uh, it's it's a little bit of 3D chess there that we're not so privy on, and I wish there were, like I said, a little bit more breadcrumbs Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. ahead of time for that. I, I agree. Um, and that would actually make the reveal and the, the final tension, the denouement, the revelation of everything more impactful, uh, whereas now it's just like, oh, this guy's just a jerk. Like, yeah. Just yeah. punch him in the face, get it over with. Yeah, I think it's just the midsection that's weak for it. Like, the beginning that, you know, they have him uh, killing... Uh, the comedian, but uh, but then they kind of just drop him, and you don't really see him except in maybe one little video where Doctor Manhattan's talking to him through a virtual thing. Right. But then throughout that, it's like, oh, he's at a little party here, or oh, he's, you know, there's nothing it's... of that he's doing in the story that like shows Although uh, any connection to anything else. I'll push back that it's sort of embodying the kind of threat of his character yeah. that n- nobody really suspects him. He's so in the background yeah. on everything that you don't really think about it. He's like, oh yeah, that's just, you know, that's Ozymandias. He's just working on stuff, you know, in, yeah. in the background. And when you have everything sort of revealed, it's like he was operating while everyone was focused on mm-hmm. what they felt were bigger events in yeah, their lives. Noises. Yeah. <laughs> it's a muddling of tension and oddly enough, and we'll talk about Dr. Manhattan here shortly, I'm sure, but Ozzy is the embodiment of the logic, the inhuman coldness, mm-hmm. whereas Dr. Manhattan is, you know, on paper, the one that embodies that. Yeah. But Dr. Manhattan struggles, at least to some extent, in rediscovering humanity mm-hmm. and right. his connection with, uh, with Sally and, you know, returns to home, you know, and... and understanding that there is a human element and caring about human life right. where Ozzy really doesn't. Um, and that is his, his crutch, his, his hubris, his pride. Mm-hmm. And that is his, you know, kind of moral sin, to, yeah. so to speak, where he even sacrifices, you know, his, his pet, uh, the tiger and everything that, you know, all for the greater good, all for his, his mission, his goal. Right. Yeah. But the, the coldness and the calculation and how he, literally gives people cancer yeah mm-hmm. and you know with Janie his, uh Dr. Manhattan's old girlfriend that inspires emotion in Dr. Manhattan it does but yeah. it doesn't inspire any emotion in Ozymandias yeah mm-hmm. and so what that contrast between the emotion and the stark logic that really needed to be highlighted in and kind of just really pushed more so that we can see yeah. distinction mm-hmm. between Ozymandias and Dr. Manhattan, who is a complicated character, especially with the time travel and perception of time, right. perception of reality. I mean, that's hard stuff to grasp. Yeah. Yeah. This movie does kind of a good job in the short montage it does and his segment and his chapter. Yeah. Um, I inspire every, or encourage everybody to watch the animated version of the comic i think it's on mm-hmm. hbo max now um it does an excellent job of really making you understand how dr manhattan understand and perceives time flow simultaneously past mm-hmm. present yeah. future uh this movie does a, a decent job but not enough you know it kind of 
lets you relate to Dr. Manhattan, this unrelatable yeah. Superman outside of time figure who blows off, you know, a, a love interest and, and all this stuff. Um, you kind of can still at least reach to where he got right where he is. Yeah. You know, him and his father being a watchmaker and trying to control everything, but then the nuclear age unfolds before them and yeah. all of his life didn't matter before. And he became a physicist because that's what was expected of him. Did all these experiments in an accident and became the most powerful physical being yeah. in the universe, but still is passive, a passive being. Yeah. Um, until he realizes what he actually cares about. Um, well, it wasn't, isn't the problem too that he, because he knows everything beginning to end, that in a sort of um, nihilistic perspective, that there is no point to doing any sort of superhero work? There is. And that's how the, the present understanding that he has, you know, but it's still able to change. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because there is a, an extent to his, a limit to his understanding as is manipulated by Adrian Veidt and the tachyons and things like that. And so I, I wish that Veidt's, I don't know, this just his ego was mm -hmm. a little bit more accentuated in how he was manipulative yeah. of everyone and the situation manipulative of human emotion in, in sake of cold logic and numbers. Um, I think that would have gone a long way for this story and the, all of the characters involved. Yeah, right. Um, maybe maybe a slight adjustment to my statement. It's uh, I I I think they do have the the breadcrumbs there. Uh, you know, like this this what was just displayed was uh the the attacker on um Ozymandias is Ozymandias. It really, uh, like when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that guy's attacking him. But then when you think about it, mm -hmm. oh. He totally just like we forced later. forced a poison pill. We learn on that him. later, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and you learn that later, and you don't really think about it. But yeah. uh, the adjustment that I'd make to my statement is not that. Uh, like I, I think I, it, 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 I, I feel like I should have more Ozymandias, but what it really is is maybe they should have focused more on that part of the story, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should have like. Focused on it more and in juxtaposition against yeah. Rorschach yeah, and his exact force approach to understand. Almost like those, exactly. are, those are the two catalysts. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say because Vite is essentially what we associate sil serial killers as yeah. being, where yeah. they ingrain themselves in people's lives. They watch people die and they don't really care. Like and they're Rorschach's fine with that. The detective hunting yeah. them down. So what. What I think you're kind of alluding to that we need is you you need a little more of that back and forth because you yeah. by the end of the film you don't really feel his betrayal as strongly as yes. you could. Yeah, exactly. And what he's done is heinous at the least, but you don't really feel it because you've been along yeah. for the ride for so many other stories that by the yeah. that time it feels so distanced from you. You're like, so, well, that yeah, I, happened. Yeah, you, and I'm like, wait, why is Rorschach dying? Or, you know, all, right. Like, yeah. So you're it's, questioning, like, wait. Huh? I, I agree with that. I think <laughs> Vite needs to be a little more involved in that way, particularly. Mm -hmm, yeah. Something that. Um, sorry, that would make Rorschach's death so much more heartbreaking, too. Yeah. With the focus that, you know, he's right the whole time. And this guy is known to be, like, you know, he the his 
opponent, Ozymandias, is a villain, but mm. he's right at the same time. Right. Uh, it's kind of like a... Uh, I don't know if we said this last time, but it's kind of like a, a, a like a Javert and uh, oh, whatever yeah. situation. Valjean. Valjean and Javert situation. Like yeah. that kind of opposition. Like, I don't want to live in this world where you're... Well, oh, I've definitely you know, your made logic the, I've actually your made the yeah. compare that Javert is very similar to to uh, Rorschach yeah. in the sense that he can't live in the black like yeah, outside it's the like black that. and white. It's like that. Yeah. Um, but one and well, I'll I'll use this as a transition for Reese to go into our next character because yeah, I made a a thing. I I just made a realization in my mind after watching this so many times. <laughs> uh, one of the issues I had was with Ozymandias in Doctor Manhattan. Like, how could Ozymandias outsmart Dr. Manhattan because, you know, someone who can see through time. Mm. And it just seems like that's not possible, right? Mm -hmm. But, and obviously there's like a whole thing with Dr. Manhattan not being able to see his own future that kind mm -hmm. of affects that, but... No, no, no. He can he can only see his own future. He can't see anyone else's. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, to, to yes. your point, he doesn't understand people. Yes. Well, yeah. the, well and to further that, it's in comparison to Ozzy is that Ozzy is the world's smartest man as mm. stated by, I think even Dr. Manhattan in this mm. where, where he is the ultimate intelligence and in Dr. Manhattan is almost the embodiment of ultimate truth. He can see truth yeah. and yeah, he can't, he's not necessarily intelligent. Now I, mm. I know that sounds weird. He, is, he's just knowing he knows like, things. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> not, he doesn't have to calculate yeah. And I think once somebody is working around his blind spot, that he's not doing mm -hmm. the extra work to try to solve it. And he yeah. and like I'm I'm trying to imagine like imagine a world if Ozzy was the one who got trapped in that chamber, mm -hmm. then we'd have like the ultimate of like ultimates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So point being, I it's I I really like that as character development between mm -hmm. the two of them. Mm -hmm. it, it just made me appreciate it more. So, Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, so let's talk Dr. Manhattan. Thanks for the setup there. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been waiting. Like, I know, I can see you. I can see you. We need yeah. to get to this guy. Um, Dr. Manhattan occupies a pretty big chunk of this movie, pretty crucial, uh, portrayed by Billy Crudup Osterman. Dr. Osterman is his name, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Billy Crudup as Dr. Manhattan, you guys. He is. Uh, he gets this really drawn-out sequence uh, portraying... Or, or or that shows his uh how he he became what he is he kind of hilariously gets locked in this room this door just like magically shuts on him he's like hey guys look who get out of here <laughs> uh and then but we were then met with this man talk about cool visual moments and great a great replication of uh what happened in the comic of just the flesh being stripped from his bones and then you get just the the skeleton it's so good imagery yeah. that, of, that's one that's of my favorite parts. parts yeah 100 yeah. yeah. uh, this is such a cool it, it's kind of a montage but also not it's narrated by uh billy right. crudup just showing how uh, again next to that opening sequence this this does so much economic good work showing how Dr. Manhattan came to be and just the, the force that he is on this world. And, uh, it's, it's really cool. Like, I, I think all this Dr. Manhattan stuff is fascinating. Mm -hmm. what, what did y'all think of the performance and the character in general? So good. Why? 
Why? I, I honestly it's thought I was really going to cool. say that and somebody was going to jump in. <laughs> I, I didn't play so that. So good. Like, no, wait, guys, come on. Come well, on. I thought Pack I was going like, to say it. And normally, we have a lot going on today. Also, also when you, if you talk visual effects, I think it mostly holds up. Oh, that's, uh, no, no, yeah, really that's the biggest up. part of this movie, visual effects wise. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that in this was the turning point in visual effects, I think. Yeah. Where they just were capable of doing it. Maybe to failure in in anybody else's hands. There are like money shots in this where they're just oh, it holds on the face and it's like Zack Snyder's just like mm-hmm. yeah we, we got did it, it. like we, got we did it, it. just yeah. rest <laughs> live in this moment for a second. No matter look what at, look video, at the wrinkles, look at the all the, oh, the no matter what video skin. you watch, they mm-hmm. talk about how like they did it. Yeah, oh, oh, I don't know how in two thousand nine yeah. this is insane. Makes you wonder. Like how long it took them was to determine there... how how sizable he was. Were they doing <laughs> a texture mapping at all? Uh, texture mapping in what way? Like of his skin. Like yeah, no, it, they definitely had to do. Okay. Like I don't know if they like took Billy Crudup's skin and tried to like map it, but they did skin textures over top of it. This is full CG, but they had Billy Crudup as like the face, obviously, uh-huh. and they they lit him up with. LEDs mm-hmm. and they had him, you know, they had people interact with sticks, you know, with tennis balls, as we all know, and yeah. right. a lot of CGI scenes. Um, but when it came down to it, they referenced him for the emotion, mm-hmm. which emotion in Dr. Manhattan is a mm-hmm. funny right. sort of mm-hmm. juxtaposition. He but definitely has it, even in yep. small amounts. It's like, usually the yeah. eyes, it's all coming through the eyes, yeah, which is where Billy comes into play. It's cool, but yeah, it, I just no matter how many times I see him in this, I I just kind of like I try my best to break it down. Yeah, and I can't. Like it's Doc, just so yeah, good. Doctor Manhattan and Rorschach's like ever changing mask are the coolest visual oh, effects yeah. in yeah. this movie. This this movie His was ahead of its so time, cool. I think, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to CGI. This I do could have easily won awards. What helps? It might have actually. Let me check. What Go helps ahead. with the rendering of his character is that his movement is very slow and deliberate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's not like they're trying to compensate for difficult movements like running or um, jumping, anything super dynamic. So that probably aided a lot with <laughs> making it look so good. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that he's supposed to be this sort of supreme supreme being almost so you don't really have a frame of reference for someone that's described as a god yeah so you can kind of fudge it a little bit here and there and it will it will still look good for years yeah yeah what what's cool about him is that you know you want to think that he's omniscient but he isn't he just can see like humans for what they are which is Mm -hmm. you know oh you're a bunch of organs muscles bones and whatever and you have thoughts i can't i don't yeah. know those thoughts but he like sees everything but he's very yeah. much like a machine I feel would. like if you were to try to relate to him at all if you've ever had a moment where you just felt overwhelmed by the amount of stuff going on around you yeah. and in your life to the mm-hmm. point where you kind of shut down that's that's sort yeah. of how i see him whether that's what is actually happening or not but there is a level of apathy people reach when they feel like everything is just overwhelming because that's their Mm -hmm. that's their response to that is okay well i can't care about everything you know because it's just too much yeah so 
You're referencing he has that, that scene where um, he has like, that to leave like, me alone. yeah, yeah. The, he has that to good. the nth degree. So he's like, yeah. I just need to. This is too many things yeah. I'm seeing that people aren't, and it, yeah, yeah. So I want to draw everything back now that we've talked about kind of all the characters at least a little bit. Draw everything back to the comedian mm-hmm. because he is the impression of an amalgam of all these people, all these characters to some extent. You know, the, yeah. the badassery of, you know, Rorschach in the prison, mm-hmm. of the detective understanding things beyond what other people understand, kind of an outside perspective looking in mm-hmm. that Veidt and uh, Osterman have, and just kind of almost like a, a tool or a prop of society that Silk Spectre is. And he parodies it, as is said, you know, on the face of it. And he's the first to die in all of this, but he is mm-hmm. the connection point between all of these people. Yeah, you feel him throughout the whole movie. He too. he is. His presence is felt, and you know, again, it calls back to you know the humanity of these people of, that are trying to be heroes or perform their daily lives and duties mm-hmm. and and what they feel is right, or if they're self serving. And in the end, I wish like the. Malak character of him visiting, you know, the funeral and 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 Rorschach roughing him up and stuff. But the reveal of that kind of flashback where the comedian visits him yeah. in mm-hmm. bed where he has that final like moment of the mask off crying as, you know, it's all a joke, but him not understanding. In the comics, that was like a real gut punch for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I wish I, I felt. I think it felt short, and I don't think it's Jeffrey Dean Morgan's acting that's the problem. Yeah. I wish that there was more emphasis on that scene. Yeah, because the as, the mm. the fact that a villain, once you take the masks off, y'all are actually much closer than you seem, yeah. is very significant, and it's kind of. At least they do give it some time. They do, mm-hmm. but it, it it does feel a little like. That's Gloss. that's where there is some merit to the criticism of Zack Snyder in prioritizing things. Yeah. You know, the slow motion scene of the of an Archie where, you know, it's great for the character development and the relationship between Night Owl and Silk Spectre, Dan and Sally, you know, the whole slow motion of Hallelujah and all that stuff. It's <laughs> it's cheesy. And but why do we have that, but we don't have the depth of that? Full breakdown, right. rock Good bottom point. of the yeah. comedian, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that's where the, war- the 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 criticism of Zack Snyder's style over substance is is warranted, in my opinion. Yeah, but he was so close. Like you could have both. Yeah. You yeah. could have both, and he just didn't. And I don't. It kind of you know really prompts yeah. me to ask the question: Did he understand what this comic? No, was yeah, about? that's the thing. Yeah, it's like there are scenes where you feel like he does. But then you'll have something like that where you're you start questioning it and it's like, well, wait, did did he understand yeah. the point of this comic or was he good at replicating what is given to you in the comic book? Yeah, yeah. he just like, thought this was a cool, reading. gritty like Yeah. That's why I come back to Zack Snyder is he's a fan. Yeah. Right. Yep. He is a fan directing something that he is a fan of. And sometimes fans don't understand the entire depth of they what they are fans of. of. They get like, some they of get it some that they like, yeah. yeah. but not the total um, picture. And there, there's actually little superficial indicators of the Zack Snyder style over substance in this movie, where it's like some of the lines, the line deliveries seem like they are 
tailored to transition into a cool like music video type right. sequence. Yeah. Or like the one that comes to mind the most is when uh, Night Owl set or Night Owl and Silk Spectre have had their first like quote unquote date. It's right. not even a date. It's more just like hey, catch. They're us. just hanging out. Uh, but. But she like looks out at the cartoon. There, it seems like there's no laughs anymore. And he's like, "That's because the comedian's dead." Cue sound of silence song. Like yep. it, it almost seems like okay. You like this the is point. very you, you the just point. you well, just he, yeah. he sometimes I imagine Zack Snyder being the type where he just has his playlist of music yeah. and he's just sitting there he listening is. and he's yeah. like, he's, "Oh my he, god, I would love to have this is, song in a movie." He has yeah. fully admitted that he has been in his car listening to songs like, "Oh, I got to put this in a movie." I think yeah, we yeah. talked about that in Sucker Punch uh, yep. specifically. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's it's such a shame because there's so much potential here and he's 90% of the way. But, yeah. you know, if you ask yourself, which of these characters is good? Mhm. The really, Owl. the only well, the original Night Owl. There you go. There you go. Because I mean, even uh, Dan Dreidberg. I mean, he's got good intentions, but he's right. a coward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no way around. He is. He overcomes some of it to. I have something extent. to say about that, but I'll let you finish. But <laughs> Hollis Mason is probably the only, especially in the graphic novel. Maybe it's more of my perspective too. But you know, he is the only real good people, even in the original Watchmen, mm-hmm. because all the original Watchmen they all had their own flaws going back before these characters that we know now. It but just it's a Go ahead, David. Sorry, I, I was waiting for the right moment. <laughs> but yeah, with Night Owl specifically this Night Owl the second, he definitely carries on his father's legacy, I think, in the right not way. Not father, but is it not his father? No. Really? No. Oh man. This whole time. Wow, I feel dumb. Uh, well let it <laughs> no, let it be his, known. His Night Owl the second is not his father <laughs> of the first. No, I, no, they just they just spoke about it in the movie. His father's like some corporate banking guy. Yeah. yeah Dan Dan is rich, so he's like yeah. he's the more Batman guy you inherited yeah, this Honestly, stuff and, he is. because he has all the gadgets and gizmos, but you know, <laughs> when it comes to the heart, the, the What about the, the who's it's and what's it's galore? Yeah. <laughs> um and maybe this is influenced from just some of the videos I've watched going over it, but a lot of the character with him is that he is truly a good person mm-hmm. who yeah. wants to good, do good, but it seems like through his interaction with Dr. Manhattan and just understanding his connection to the world mm-hmm. that he can't do it. It's, it's almost like an impotence mm-hmm. that he cannot seem to find purpose <laughs> i chose the, the, the actual funny. worst point to say this yeah we're, we're so we're watching the movie scene. oh god and he and lori are you Why know getting into it things. and he, it's almost like uh, an you know, <laughs> he can't call he can't call archie to action at the moment so oh god oh no uh, so but honestly oh, i guess man. a perfect moment to bring it up because yeah. he's just he can't Oof. find purpose yeah. And and the one thing that brings him purpose is helping, but like do being a superhero brings purpose. And that's why I think I see him as a truly good person is he can't even really be I see a, him as a good person. He well. can't he be is a normal good, yeah. person. He can't even be a normal person because it just doesn't do anything. For I guess him. yeah, I phrased that that the true hero already developed. Mm, you know, he's yeah. still got work to do. Yes, he seems exactly. like he he does have you're right though. There's a like a coward not a cowardly nature to him, but almost like a 
I could be swayed really easily by one person or the other. Like, yeah, he's, right. like, he's content to step back for yeah. most of this time until something yeah. ignites his flame. Yeah, he's the guy when, when someone says, oh, we're breaking up the Watchmen, he's probably like, all right, I guess that's, that's okay. Yeah, again, <laughs> he's waiting for the external force instead of the yep. internal yeah. force. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Rorschach, you know, big picture was their bad guy, their big main bad guy that they took yeah. down. Rorschach is still combating him, even in prison. And Dan is, you know... W- that was, you know, ancient history. Yeah. Now he's worried about, you know, his love life and, you know, conspiracy and just being safe. Yeah. So. So before we get to the end or the finale of this movie, I want to talk about the just the unique structure of this film. When you really think about it, the first 75% of it is table setting, like setting mm-hmm. up lore, setting up. There is some like present day stuff plot developments that happen but for the most part this movie is doing the work to get you up to speed with what the watchman is about mm-hmm. like it's like here's the history of the minutemen here's uh what's happened with this newer generation and then there's a couple scenes sprinkled throughout where it is present day and they're dealing with modern problems i guess uh and then f- I don't know if y'all feel the same way, but the last 25% of this movie, it actually comes up, it it speeds up into like, okay, this is focused real time. Now we're actually focusing on the main plot of this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that Zack Snyder is able to juggle all these balls or spin all these plates in the right way? Like, does he divvy up all this information in the right way? Or does it seem like word pasta spaghetti just like bunch of random scenes thrown together i don't think any of it is really random it's just that he does like aj said he does prioritize some things over others in which you know you'd think okay put put this scene here but instead you know the halloween scene like you said can i put a hot take in there yeah i think he got lucky (laughs) <laughs> like I, and it seems, this seems weird to say because it seems oddly good yeah, I, yeah. it's good I, I feel like he stumbled into yeah, it I, <laughs> so you know, that's the, a both answer the more I think yeah. about that I was going to say the same thing mm-hmm. maybe to a lesser extent but he had a roadmap for him and I think it's more to more and uh, you know and at all that yeah, were involved in the original adhering to that material Zack Snyder keys in, he he zones in on the the style mm-hmm. and by just the nature of it, that, that style was characteristic of the story because of the original writing. Yeah. It was able to carry the story with it. I think that's, you know, not necessarily to Snyder's credit, mm-hmm. um, but that style of the original story was so integral to what Watchmen was about that taking that part of it almost by, you know, just incidents, took mm-hmm. the rest of it with it or most of it. Now, I don't know Snyder really well, but, you know, judging by his other stuff, you know, and what we've kind of talked about, his priorities, you know, I, I'm kind of inclined to agree with David, but I wouldn't be surprised if, I, I still consider this a very good adaptation of a, of a comic yeah. book, of a graphic it's novel. And it was something no, right? that was, it was one of those movie, those things that was considered unadaptable. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And and I'm mm-hmm. glad you said that because Watchmen is an atypical style. It was already revolutionary in what it was. Mm-hmm. And so adapting something that's so, you know, non-conformant, 
like is just that's already a challenge in itself. Yeah. And so I think Snyder kind of met that puzzle piece with something that meshed with it 90% and was able to extract a visual film style of that mm-hmm. story uh, to, to a large extent successfully. So I don't want to take away credit from Snyder, yeah. but yeah. I think the original content, the original source material also did him some favors and, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and it matched with his, his personal artistic style. I, I think that with, with him specifically, because he is a visual person, and if you take into account the fact that, as you said, Reese, he's a fan. Yeah. Yep. That when you're a fan, you try your best to do things right. Yeah. And when you combine somebody trying their best with the fact that he is a good visual storyteller, whether or not it, it accurately does things the way the original intent was, mm-hmm. I think you get this kind of result. Yeah. Whether I maybe stumbled into it was a little harsh. Sorry, Zach. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it's... um. I mean, he I, had I, to I, deliberately put scenes in. He did. Even <laughs> if he stumbled he through did. it, it takes a degree of talent to yeah. pull yes. something like this off. Like just, I will, it, yeah. it is a, um, you know, a cohesive story overall. Yeah. You know, it, you can take scenes from a, a novel and pick and choose them and cut other things, and it still yeah. doesn't work in a yeah. visual right. medium. And, and, and that's not the case here. So, you know, he, he did well in this. Um, I just think that some of the heart of the original story was left behind, unfortunately. Yeah. So a couple things we've glossed over. I don't know if y'all want to expand on it at all, but we had the whole uh, the whole cancer side plot with Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> side Wait. plot's a pretty big plot. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole, that's all the problem. are like side big plot. side plots that Yeah, there's a lot of things coalescing at the same time. Uh, we also have the Night Owl and Silk Spectre, like the burgeoning romance mm-hmm. with them. We also have the big prison break sequence with Rorschach where he's captured and then he breaks out. Uh, do y'all want to talk to any more of this before we move on? So the the prison break scene with, uh, or not necessarily the prison break, but just Rorschach in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, we that very memorable line, you're not locked in here with me. I'm locked or, in here with you. Or, or, the other no, way around, no. thank you. I'm sorry, I'm not that. locked in here with you. You're you're yeah. locked in here with me. It's so and, good. Yeah. So good. Uh, Iconic. Haley's yeah. performance of that is great. I wish the direction of that and, and the novel it, it gave me chills more so than in the movie. Mm-hmm. The movie's more like badass. That's awesome. Okay, you know, kick some ass or something like that. Mm-hmm. The 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 novel, especially after going through the, all the the psychoanalysis scenes with him and how he interacts with the doctor and the valuation, where he kind of plays his game and then decides to just you know dump it on him. And mm-hmm. it, there's there's a lot more in the, the psychoanalysis side of Rorschach um, that could have developed his character more from an outside perspective. Yeah. Other than yeah. just a badass who beats people up. Right. Um, it's it's eerie, you know, how instead of shouting that and beating people up overtly, he's almost whispering that, a stage whisper of, you know, you don't understand that yeah. you know, I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me. And that's yeah. so much more impactful. It was like a primal who scream. He is as a, well, as a purposeful truth. Like yeah. not that they didn't even have to hear it. It's more like a this is happening. Yeah. You don't even realize it. Yeah. So, you know, and and the things like that that people really pick on is like missing the mark. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just a style choice, I think, and it's a preference. Yeah. Uh, but I think that if you build something that's you know, obviously, subtlety that lands is more impactful than something that on the nose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. So that's my thought about that. Uh, you know, Silk Spectre, 
and and Dan, their their chemistry was was pretty apropos. I think. I thought um, it was good, mm-hmm. and, and I actually think it did Silk Spectre some favors. Where, in in the comic, she's almost using him because mm-hmm. that's all she knows how to do is in in terms of searching for comfort. Yeah. Um. So I think there is a, an equal footing area for them. Mm-hmm. Um. And then. The cancer scene. I think I talked about that a little bit. The emotional aspect that could have been played on more in relation to Vite's like machinations and manipulations. Yeah. And uh, Ozymandias through the lens of of Doctor Manhattan. Uh, Doctor Manhattan is is just such a. He's easily dismissed as a godlike Superman. You know, just like you know Clark Kent. We can't. Most people now, and if you take a, a straw poll. People will choose Batman over Superman because Superman is uh, unrelatable. What? Yeah, yeah, they would. Wait, and are we now? What? Super. I've, people, I see way more pe- fanboys getting hard ons for bit Batman than because Superman. Because Superman is a Boy Scout that's always mm-hmm. right and overpowered. Like he always mm-hmm. wins, yep. and there's yeah. no challenge or depth to his character. The most uproar I've actually heard in support of Superman was when Henry Cavill got cut from the yeah. Superman yeah. role. That's the most I've heard about. But as a general Superman. consensus, you know. The, the the bland, you know, superficial good versus the dark and brooding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's easy to relegate Dr. Manhattan into that, that first camp of the bland alien mm-hmm. uh, that's just overpowered. But seeing the dichotomy of him as a human versus Dr. Manhattan um, and mm-hmm. within the lens of him <laughs> facing external choices that formed him yeah. versus his own internal choices... That was something that could have been delved upon more, but it's it's hard to understand a being like that that sees time simultaneously. Like time itself is always already a philosophical discussion among people. Yeah, how we you know interpret time and existential stuff in any way, but that just lends itself more to this whole story. There's so much existentialism in it that's not touched upon in the movie, and that's why. It's it's a shame because they were so close. Yeah. And they just mm-hmm. had to give us a little bit more. At and, least and it wasn't bad, though. It wasn't. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's more of a mass appeal type thing versus, you know, this. if you really get deep into this, it's going to turn people off. It will. This yeah. movie as it is already turns people off. You need, you need somebody who can get an indie sort of thing across. I, I, yeah. I, I But I think that's also, you know, shortchanging your audience. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You can't, you know... Give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not dumb. So you think that kind of what they were saying before is that this is just an unadaptable piece almost? No, I, I think that they played it too safe. Who do you think could do it right? I, I'm Well, curious. not necessarily who, but I think if Zack Snyder worked with someone who could check him on yeah, story. That's what I think. Yeah, he just needs so a little... He needs a little assistant, yeah. is what yes. I'm saying. He needs yeah. someone that can check him on substance. Yeah. Okay. He has this yeah. style down. Like it it really does it look to him. like it should be Watchmen. Yeah. You just need a little more help with the and he actually stuff. he actually does tamp down on his slow mo in this one. It's still there, yeah. but yeah. it's not in the forefront of everything. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it. No, I mean it's not it's like a long three. movie, so okay. <laughs> so so it's it's like there is slow mo, but it's it's a little more tastefully done. I mean, like Hallelujah is an exception, sort of, but uh, 
but other than that, it's it's we're watching slow mo right now. Yeah, you're. Wa- but there's you not watch a this whole movie lot, of, and there's just slow mo. That is the thing. But like there's not a whole lot of just action in this. Yeah, movie, it, I, you know, in comparison to the total yeah. runtime, like, I bet there's less slow mo in this than Sucker Punch. Yeah, and three hundred. Like this movie's not oh, about the action. Yeah. It's it's you know it's got the slow mo, and that is very much him. He likes doing that. Yeah, but it's not you know. Uh, uh, the the core component that makes up the movie. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Rorschach is broken out of prison, or he breaks himself out of prison, but then he meets up with Silk Spectre and uh, he gets a uh, night owl, and it's actually a pretty funny interaction. I feel like. Uh, it, yeah. The small guy. I'll just say small guy. I don't know what the official I term think, is. I think it's big picture. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but the whole scene where the door is like slowly closing and then opening and then you see that Rorschach is getting closer and closer to that guy and you just yep. know what's about to happen uh it's a it, it's good stuff here and this almost it's so good because this there's a feeling that this movie evokes that I think I do want to give Zack Snyder credit for and it's because for one it's the soundtrack choices two it's like showing all the Minutemen stuff he really accomplishes this feeling of like <laughs> this is the past and like this is like oh remember the good old days like when you know like the Minutemen as much as there was all this horrible stuff that happened behind scenes like there's there's like this rosy outlook on things and when they come together it's it's kind of this oh a regrouping that feels I'm not gonna say it's like the Avengers when they're like oh wow you see that shot of them all together but it feels like oh this is this feels right, and they're all together, and and we're actually getting the group together for the first time, and it feels monumental in a way. But at the um, same time, there is something that's still things need to be changed a little bit. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, viewing nostalgia through rose tinted glasses is very easy to do, mm-hmm. but when you try to recreate that in just the name of nostalgia, it's not not right. Yeah, and so like you know, you said soundtrack. You know, the right of the Valkyries of. Dr. Oh, Manhattan yeah. swooping through Vietnam and this alternate history of the comedian saying, you know, if we lost Vietnam, it would break America. Yeah. Well, guess what? In reality, we did lose Vietnam. And, yeah. you know, look at the social implications of that. So there's still this, you know, underlying subcurrent of, you know, something mm-hmm. off. Yeah. So, yeah. But you that, also get the feeling that there, there's the, it's a turning over an, of a new leaf. Yeah. Because this is the first point in the movie where I feel like they shake off the influence of the comedian. Yes. Where it's like, okay, there's comedian still is ahead. out of here. Yeah. yeah. Like, comedian had such a cynical, like, yeah, yeah, I'm just one person. What can I do to change this world? Nothing. So we just have to laugh at it. Because all, all the world cares about is just entertainment and, like, there's still an element of hope, and that's the whole thing yeah. behind, you know, even Dr. Manhattan through his roller coaster of acknowledging the the value of life and human emotion, but then acknowledging the supposed inevitable of Veidt's plan. Mm-hmm. But then at the very end, we have Rorschach's journal delivered to the press. Yeah. <laughs> so there's still that lingering element of hope and humanity yeah. that's there. Mm-hmm. So that 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 is well done. I, I'll give you that. And we, we are also... We figure out, or Rorschach, or uh, Night Owl figures out that Vite's behind all of this. What did y'all think about the reveal of that and how it's, was it clunky for y'all or did you think it was well done? I think tying back into something we were kind of talking about before, not seeing enough of Vite in general, 
I feel like this reveal doesn't do much for me mm-hmm. other than, oh, he's he's doing bad things. It's just you know? motivation. Oh, yeah. You don't, you, don't, yeah. you don't really feel much Something when this comes to light. That was changed from the novel that is, you know, kind of in the credit of the film adaptation. The squid stuff? No, well, well, that's <laughs> that, that for sure. No, yeah. so the original once once Rorschach comes up with this mass killer conspiracy, he's the one that originally goes to Vite and Vite brushes him off yeah. in the graphic novel. In the movie, Dan is the one that goes to Vite, and mm. so there's a little bit more human interaction yeah. between him than Vite and Rorschach. Where you know, I think that was a good change. I I agree. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's a humanity to Dan that I think is. Uh, mm-hmm. It's good seeing that interaction between those two because it's a better, it's a better back and forth in a mm. way. But as far as the reveal, yeah, like Irina said, you know, if we had a little bit more of Vite ahead yeah. and just a little bit more emphasis on his overall malice of the means justifying the ends, mm-hmm. then that would just be more inf- impactful. Mm. I think yeah. so too. I so, felt the most with uh, Rorschach's demise, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this final sequence here. So they take the uh, owl ship, which is super cool looking and iconic at this cool. point. Archie. Um, Archie, thank you. From uh, the Disney. So Archie is from the Disney uh, King Arthur. It's not yeah. even an Arthurian <laughs> legend. That's just what Disney decided to call the owl is Arch, Arch oh, really? Archimedes. Mm. I didn't even know. So that. it's funny that a DC a, property is using a Disney. That's so name. funny. Yeah. I did it not even know that. Merlin's owl, that. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we get another really great needle drop with the all along the watchtower, the Jimi Hendrix version as they yeah. approach the uh, Vites lair. Uh, so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. I actually really love the costuming here, especially uh, so Night Owl's uh, like winter suit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> His costume's so good. Like I thought it was dorky the first time I when I first saw this movie, but. As as I've watched it more, I'm like, no, that's cool. Night Owl looks cool. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I like his look. There is something um, almost kind of like um, retro about that, yeah. where they would have a winter suit. You yeah. know, it, it makes me think of just sort of I don't know why, but James Bond type old films where like, yeah, this is their standard outfit. Yeah. But now that we're going into the Arctic terrain, they have like this fur lined suit. It feels like a video game where you're like, and now your winter suit. Or just a reason to have more like toys. Like, oh, here's the, you can buy the regular costume. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, Rorschach's like, I'm Um, cold. I'm cold. (laughs) It it also highlights, you know, kind of going back, not to rewind too much, but (laughs) You know, when when John has Sally transported to Mars, right. yeah, he completely forgets about, about her needing oxygen. Yeah. Yep. And so until she's almost on, you know, dying, he's like, oh, yeah, I forget these trivial things. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you talking about trivial things? This is the problem, John. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and the, the impracticality of her costume, and, and Dan is the one that kind of recognized, like, cloaks her with the warm weather stuff because that's all she's got right so it's small details like that that um that really help humanize all of these characters Mm -hmm. uh so we have the final confrontation with vite he's got a whole bunch of i don't know executives whatever the heck those people are there at his place he's got his weird shadow cat creature that i'm like what is this scientist okay (laughs) scientist oh scientist sorry 
the creature's cool and all, but it's it's strange to have it here because I think it was in the nothing, comics, and that's why it is, it's here. Well, it is yeah. in the comics, but its presence in the movie is feels random. strictly like a oh, I like that creature in this. Let's gotta, have that. Gotta put it. You in, know, yeah. like you really don't. Well, it's yeah. I think it. it's supposed to be representative. So his name is Bubastis, which mm-hmm. is you know back to the Egyptian uh, mythos and which stuff like that. He has a lot of that. Yeah, uh, statue. You know, and yeah, and Ozymandias. You know, he he calls back to you know Alexander the Great. So it's it's more of that hubris, of the ego, the pride things. Yeah, and Bubastis is exemplary of his mastery over nature. Right, uh, and that's supposed to be him sacrificing, you know, nature and his own creation for the the greater good. Still, yeah. right, over emotion and and you know connection like that kind of thing. Yeah, so. Which makes sense uh, in a comic setting. Right. But in this setting where we haven't really had much of Vite seated yeah. in the whole story, having yeah. it's, a cool cat, he, he, it seems it's more like what, yeah, here's what fringe it than <laughs> meaning it, it, anything. It's Zack Snyder thinking, villain's got to have a cat. I, like, yeah, I guess well, I'm forgiving it, of it because it's still better than having them create this squid alien yeah. based True. on, you know, people's brains that are frozen oh, yeah. or whatever. And yeah. then, you know, all those people are killed and then that teleported to to Manhattan. Like that just that was a good right. choice. I want to emphasize film adaptation of a comic. Do not <laughs> do not <laughs> take your final ending to be a squid alien that was imported from the consciousness of some genius that's psychic. Yeah. And yeah. have it transplanted and blow up. Unless you're James Cameron. Eh. Or James Gunn, who I was going to say, who has a big starfish at the end of the Suicide oh, yeah. Squad movie. No. Which one would you prefer? Completely I feel like different that's, energy. That's, <laughs> this is, that's along the line of like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and James, yeah. or uh, excuse me, Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah. Like, it makes, that just ruins everything. <laughs> the thing is, it makes much more sense to have this elect, this this blast of energy that mm-hmm. destroys part yeah. of New York City that yeah. seems very similar to what a Dr. Manhattan can do. Whereas having a giant squid manifest itself is not like, I don't know. A psychic like, squid. I will say, it's yeah. yeah. actually more intelligent mm. to include the story the way they wrote it. By the way, uh, have y'all seen the TV show? No. Uh, one episode. Mm-mm. One episode. That one very much adheres to the comic where it was a squid, but it is a sequel. So, but there is like, like there is reference to this massive yeah. squid in that show. And it kind of works in that sense. So, Maybe you could do it, but I also I, I kind of like the choice. It's a good here. choice. Yeah. Uh. So he, uh, Doctor Manhattan, gets lured into this science thing area where, <laughs> like, <laughs> like where uh, it's something. Intrin- okay, so intrinsic field is what uh, the intrinsic field is. What uh, it's not a science thing area. Austin <laughs> was was experimenting on. Which is not technically a real physics thing, but yeah. it is in the, in this world, uh, and that's what created Doctor Manhattan. And so this kind of force field area, uh, Ozymandia set this trap to reduce that and negate that intrinsic field to kind of eliminate Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, doesn't work. Doctor Manhattan's figured that out already, uh, but what he didn't account for is Ozymandias's brain, uh, and as he uh, as he re-manifests himself, he uh, Ozymandias convinces, or, or at least explains to Doctor Manhattan that, hey, if we want humanity to have a chance, 
we you have to be you have to take the fall for this you have to uh, it, if you take the fall for this it, and this disaster that's uh, that's happening in in uh, New York City then nations will unite will we will have a common enemy that we can that they can fight against and uh, Dr. Manhattan takes a, a second and is like yep you're right and uh Rorschach is one who will not uh he cannot stomach a lie like this that endangers other people or, or innocent people he is he's on the side of truth he's walking out of the the uh, uh the lair and obviously he's confronted by dr manhattan uh rorschach kind of comes to the acceptance that hey i know that humanity might be better off without them knowing this but also that's just not me i can't i can't do that i can't abide so he almost he kind of decides that hey if this has to happen you got to kill me and dr manhattan ultimately does kill him and i want to say in a nice little like respectful touch he intentionally splattered his blood in the, the shape of the rorschach mask it's like <laughs> hey no no here's what it really is rorschach's willpower is so powerful it influenced the world yeah. to rorschach onto it because technically <laughs> you, you know uh, Dr. Manhattan could just make him vaporize. Like he doesn't have to actually yeah. explode him yeah. in a gory mess. But yeah. I want to call call attention to this real quick. What you know, Reese just talked about is what is this greater good that they're fighting for? Why do they have to have this, you know, kind of a set up common enemy to distract mm -hmm. humanity from each other? Is what does that matter? Well, it's because there's this nuclear like threat, war yeah. threat. That you know they're on the the threat of extinction because they're you know threatened to you know on the verge of nuclear warfare with between you know Russia or the USSR and the US and that's just I feel like that takes too much of a backseat in this movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. So it's like, why do I care? Like they why try do to I insert this hokey Nixon stuff that doesn't really? Yeah, it's it's work. too caricature. Oh and my gosh, and the worst prosthetics too. Uh, it's it's supposed it's to be on purpose. It's, in, it's supposed to be intentional because it is in the graphic novel, and Nixon yeah. is over characterized. But still, it doesn't lend itself to the seriousness. The I, I just I keep saying this: the existential threat of society mm -hmm. and the pervasive like fear of society. Why these people are going to the extremes of dressing as masked people, taking on things into their own hands. Like, what is driving these people to do this? Yeah, we don't really explore that, and it's like, why do we need this common threat of somebody that's otherworldly? Well, because, <laughs> and that's that's where this movie misses the mark for me. So, yeah. so you're saying it has the what, not the why? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, but in in this movie's uh, view, we we are kind of on. Once this ha this all happens, uh, we're kind of on a seemingly better track. Um, the relationship between Silk Spectre and uh, Night Owl, sorry, I don't. Uh, Osterman and what's her name uh, seems to be heading towards the right direction. Carla Gugino, who we haven't really talked about, is still doing all right. There um, is a lot so of Spectre One. Yeah, we we can't talk. We don't have time to talk about everything, but uh, yeah, she's good as well. Um, and the world seems, despite this disaster that befell NYC, uh, the world seems to be in a state of reparation and less so tension. Though it is revealed that the uh, 
Rorschach's letters or his book or, or what is it? It's like a... His journal. His journal. Yeah. It, it turns up at the uh, at, at a uh, newspaper or a... Uh, where, where does it... Well, he kind of like just tosses it really into... Yeah. A, it, it does seem to be like some sort of newspaper yeah. company. Which could reveal either future problems or other things in the future that the, the truth will, will come out. Yeah. Uh, I believe the comics even say it's supposed to be up to the interpretation of the person reading. Yeah. What'd y'all think of the ending of this movie? I Good. liked the ending. I I feel like in general, my reaction to the ending of the movie is not as strong as the beginning. Yeah. It's um it's still good. I think it wraps up everything fine. Um mm -hmm. I'm glad there's no octopus. <laughs> um Squid, thank you very much. Yeah, squid. squid. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever tentacled creature. Um Cephalopod. Yeah. There you David. go. Can we classify it further? <laughs> I said um, David. I don't know. Secret, we should probably <laughs> cut to a break here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, um, yeah. Good ending. With that said, let's take a quick break. And on the other end, we'll get into our brief reviews of numbered scores. Talk about what critics thought. Get into some box office and close out with a little bit of franchise talk. We'll see you then. Welcome back. Let's talk Watchmen. We've all got our drinks refilled. We did. We're all good. We're ready to party. We're drinking my drink. <laughs> we did not. <laughs> we did not write our scores at random this time. David, why don't you just call? call I'm calling to people us. at random. Is what yeah. I'm going to do. Just, okay. just and do I'm going to start with Noah. Hey, it's me. What's your score, buddy? I'm gonna give it a nine. All right, yeah. you got a nine. Boo, boo, boo. Yeah. No, Go. I think boo. I think it's a phenomenal movie, but uh, I would just, you know, make a few adjustments, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do any better than anyone else. However, I think I can note that Ozymandias should have had more of a, a through line in the plot. Mm. At maybe not more scenes or more time, but more of a, an attachment to, uh, you know, what was going on. A little more of a presence, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know how to really explain it. Or perhaps the focus of the short story should have shifted over to, uh, you know, Rorschach, Ozymandias, and um, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, I think those are the three that should have been the primary focus with, you know, some support from the other two um and but past that i think you know the music's great the visuals are great you still got the slow-mo but it's not too bothersome uh acting is great uh, even with some cheesy lines uh overall i think it's a great movie awesome so, yeah, all right it. let's say next up is reese uh 8.5 i think is where i'm at on this one um I think for the most part, Zack Snyder does a really commendable job of adapting a impossible uh, or what was viewed to be an impossible <clears throat> comic uh, or graphic novel to adapt. Um, gr great casting all around, um, despite. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually fully stand by Malin Ackerman being at, 
Dia Silk Spectre 2 here. I just think she's saddled with some of the the worst lines. Uh, but I still, I, I wouldn't change a thing about the cast here. And I think this this movie is the ultimate one I would present people who like to throw shade or criticize Zack Snyder as there is something to this filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I think this is still stands as his best movie. <clears throat> I, I like other movies of his, but this is the one I that agree. this is the one that feels most fully like, oh, he's he's in this. He's trying to make the best version of this that he can. Uh, my reservations come in in the fact that I think there is some some like style over substance here. And we've harped on that a lot in this episode. There's a lot of like you get the sense that he understood the comic, maybe 80 percent. And the other 20% kind of went over his head. Uh, I'm projecting that a, a little bit. I don't actually know what he thought. But a lot of it, a lot of the, the this movie feels like a setup to have a cool music video scene. Um, that No one said that about Zack Snyder ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, but still, I got to give credit where credit's due. He adapted this thing successfully, which... I feel like many filmmakers wouldn't be able to do. It is a very effective movie. There's so much strong imagery. I think even though there is a a priority on coolness versus like the actual themes, I do still think the themes of the original graphic novel are there. And maybe that's because he just he decided to just cut and paste directly, but it I, they're still there, you know, like, and it's still effective. Like, I, I think the movie still has a, a strong message. Um, so yeah, uh, that, 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 that about sums it up. It's a good, it's a good movie. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not this amazing, huge achievement that I saw it as when I originally saw it, but I still, uh, I still respect this movie a lot and I, I will, I will not, uh, yeah, I will not back down from that that 8.5 score. <laughs> All right. Next up is me, David. So, mine is hard because this is one of the few occasions where my knee-jerk reaction is to give it a high score of a 9. But, like, upon contemplation, I want to lower it. It's But, but why did my knee-jerk go higher like, Go with your heart. We I don't know what my yeah. heart is on. This. this is one of the rare occasions. I would say I don't a knee jerk is your heart. your heart on? I, I guess. I guess. So. Where is my heart? So <laughs> it's one of those ones. I don't have a. Wow, that is really loud. Did anyone? Know? Okay. Yeah. It's called a choo choo train. All right, we got a really loud choo choo train out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just something about this movie that I want to give it a nine. But I don't, my heart almost tells me not to. I don't know, like, it's, there's something reverse of what you were saying. Where, well, why don't you talk it out? Give us your review and then come to a score. All right, I like that. We'll start with the nine and we'll work from there. This movie seems like, after watching it probably four or five times in the past, you know, five years, mm -hmm. that it is made by somebody who really cares about what it is. Yeah. I always thought that Zack Snyder had a really good passion for this project. And when it came to his execution, I always thought it was also really good. I think that there are people out there who probably give this a 10 on the movie scale. 
and coincidentally people who would give it a two, which I don't understand. Which makes no sense. This it's yeah. it's a very polarizing movie. But it's Rorschach. I, and maybe it's honestly, you know, I think I figured it out. I think the reason I gave it a nine is the physical execution. The actual CGI music, um, the actual cinematography perspective. I think that always gives me the upper edge in movies. I, and as if this is some surprise to me that mm. that's why I give it the upper edge. I think storytelling wise, this is more of an eight. Mm-hmm. I think the execution of CGI with the acting, everything that the characters put in with the with the costuming, music, everything, it, it goes the extra mile. And it carries a lot of what the failings in this movie are, which is the story. So story 10, or, or story 8 aesthetics, yes. 10. Yes, and, and I put a little bit more faith in that. You know what? Let's just stick with what I believe in, which is aesthetics over substance. <laughs> so I'm a big believer <laughs> so in Zack Snyder. You would be a Zack Snyder uh, huge Zack filmmaker. Snyder. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you did really like that Yeti. Yeah, that movie the has football. so much good writing and yep. the football. That's David did score the Mummy Two and the Dragon in for seven out of ten. I we brought this up earlier. Yeah. But we well, I'm bringing it up again. Or, what do you mean? Uh, it's just a so sticking with a nine. A, yeah, I'm gonna stick with a nine because that's portion. what it should be. All right, <laughs> you're sticking with. <laughs> yeah, it I'm. I'm that's uh, what it be. Once I decide <laughs> on something, it's exactly what it should be. <laughs> All right, next up is Irina. Okay. Um. I seem to remember that previously I gave this a higher score, 10 in fact, and I think it was mostly speaking from Mm -hmm. the perspective of when I first watched this movie, which asking 15, or wait, was it 16? Did we establish? Okay. 15-year-old Irina, I would have said like, yeah, it's a 10, absolutely. (laughs) But there's an aspect of not quite understanding what I'm seeing, but knowing there's something more to it that goes into that. Yeah. Um, talking it through though, before the, uh, the episode we will not really speak of. And now, um, I'm going to lower it to a nine because there are some movies that I would definitely credit as deserving higher or deserving a 10 where Mm -hmm. this one is lacking in areas. But it's still this this is a very influential film as far as introducing you to basically the world of more in general. The it's, world of more. Yeah. M O O R E not. Okay, I was like not the world yeah. of more. <laughs> the um, world of more. <laughs> it's because that's what it was for me. I didn't know anything about his comics until I had seen this and if this was done with any less reverie to the comic book, I probably wouldn't have picked it up. So there there are elements of genuine care in it, mm-hmm. but the problem with the movie is that it has the casing of a 10, but internally when you think about the way it was written and put together. Dressing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's The window dressing is perfect. So yeah. Looking at the film, you would think, yeah, this could be a tin movie. Or if you were even given just like a little scene from it, you would say, yeah, absolutely. That that must be a great film. But just when you pick apart some moments that didn't land or hit mm-hmm. as hard as you would have liked, you you just can't really give it a 10. So I'm sorry, old me, but 
Um, you've seen a lot more movies since then. Still very respectable. Nine out of ten. It's yeah. no. It's I. I I think there are definitely worse films out there where they take the comic book concept or a comic book that is really popular and it just feels completely empty. This one doesn't feel completely empty to me. There's still something to it that is more than just pulling from the comic concept like that there is an attention to detail. Yeah. So I I'm fine with my nine. Yeah, and I will say that as far as Zack Snyder goes, he did more in this than I would have. If you told me nowadays, like if this didn't exist, that he was making this movie now, this would have turned out better than I would have given him credit for. So, yeah, if that means anything. I, so that that is actually bringing up something that I want to say is I'm I'm really tired of people bashing him yes. for his style because mm. it really is influencing what you think about all his other work where something you might have respected about him starts to be tarnished because you think oh yeah yep. well that's not his well, work isn't Snyder, respected so. you know yeah. it's like no just just watch it for what it is if you mm. like it you like it imagine if you, if you like didn't it, know you it was like him it. like yeah yeah so i that's the that's kind of the flawed part about the whole critic mm. world sometimes is they they kind of just throw some of these artists under mm -hmm. the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see you do it, critics. All right. All right. Next <laughs> up. That. Final. Uh, also, the 2% that didn't give Return of the King at 100%. All right. Uh, next up. <laughs> no, true. I don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> Last. Yeah, you kind of made least. it sound like that was him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're the you're the reason, AJ. Uh, so that was a brilliant segue until you did that. No, Sorry. but what we were talking about is just, you know. Framing this within a context of Zack Snyder is not fair to this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's so much beyond Zack Snyder that is in this movie. I mean, we talk, we want to talk about technical aspects of this movie. You know, the CGI, visual effects, costume design is excellent mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, I mean, yes, there's the Zack Snyder-isms of this, but who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. I gave this a nine and a half. Right. This movie is what very nice. close to a perfect movie for me, and I think that's just I want to give this movie so much credit for being an adaptation of, as Reese described, an unadaptable comic book or graphic mm. novel, and it's a good one. It misses the mark. It does. And that's why it's not a perfect 10 for me. But I am I feel like I'm actually being harsher on this movie mm -hmm. because it had the potential. I feel there's two huge missteps here. Well, that would have, if these were corrected, would this would be, a, you know, out of the park. Right. One is the foreboding and overall sense of existential threat in the society here that was emblematic of the cold war of people mm -hmm. who you know in society and at least in north america can't speak to other parts of the world but you know that the story of of watchmen mm -hmm. really brought to the hearts and minds of people and and portrayed in a serial form that still can kind of impart that on on, on younger generations that didn't really receive that especially in history classes in public school that are like oh it's just you know 
they spied on each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I learned more about the, the, the fear and duck and cover and things like that from researching the background of, of Watchmen than I did in history yeah. classes. Duck and cover. Well, yeah. And, and you can make light of it as much as you want, but I mean, good grief. Like how you, this puts me in the shoes of these people living in mm-hmm. uncertain times and every generation has their own social struggles and, and, and world events and everything. But, you know, bringing that into perspective was, yeah. was a huge thing mm-hmm. that I took away from the graphic novel. And, and maybe reading the graphic novel, you know, in multiple levels and, and researching it, maybe I'm imparting that on the movie itself. But I think that the movie holds up to scrutiny in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, it is to its credit. Um, I just wish that it really nailed that that sense of existential threat, the nuclear gun pointed at society's head, that these people are still trying to go about their everyday lives despite existential, external threats to them beyond their control and trying to find happiness and, and glimmers of hope beyond that. Um, and, and one scene in particular that I wish was nailed more was the comedian visiting Moloch at, at night and crying and breaking down. I feel like mm-hmm. that was too abbreviated in this movie. Yeah. And, and the, the graphic novel, I was like getting goosebumps because here's the comedian who like, we're trying to struggle to understand is this like, he's a dirty guy. We don't know if we're supposed to like him or not, but he's a victim at first. You know, we want to identify with victims, but then he perpetrates all these atrocities in Vietnam and, uh, you know, attempts, you know, sexual assault on, the original Silk Spectre and all this stuff, but then she comes to forgive him and love him in her own kind of maybe twisted way that we're trying mm-hmm. to still understand. Yeah. But, you know, the, this happy face motif that we're trying to put on this smiley face despite the flaws of things. I don't I don't know. That 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 glimmer of hope despite all the 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 dirty and um just rank I don't know, stuff in society that's just rotten and stuff. That's what Watchmen is about to me. And this did 95% of that. That's why I think this deserves a nine, nine and a half. It would have been out of the park if they could have nailed that, whether it's Zack Snyder, whoever else at the helm. I think he kind of, you know, had some synergy with that. And I feel like I wish he kind of had someone backing him that pushed him in more of that direction to really just hit that nail home. Um, but I mean, beyond Zack Snyder, this is this is a work of of art from many people um, that really did a great job of mm-hmm. adapting something that was very it's very hard to adapt. And Alan Moore is not someone that is easily adaptable. I mean, I'll mm-hmm. just say that. So yeah, I mean, we can say style over substance as much as we want, but to some extent, that style was part of the original story. True. And this film captured that appeal and at least part of the heart of what Watchmen is. And it's not for everybody. I will fully admit that. But there's definite conversation and, and topical stuff we can talk about this movie. So yeah, um, I definitely watch this movie. I'll, I'll revisit it. There's there's so many things that you can delve mm-hmm. into. You know, the, the whole... I don't know. There, it's just prioritization of a couple things could have been better in my opinion. So that's what keeps it from being a perfect 10. Yeah. Well, Otherwise, overall, a great lasting impression of this movie uh, for me. Mm-hmm. 
All right, AJ, you want to crack, uh, crack, crack those crunch numbers. those numbers for us? Um, oh, yeah. One thing I forgot to mention, just the actor's performance. I mean, even, yep. especially like Jim Burrow Haley, like just the, the whole, his final scene of just doing Jack it. Jack yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, just all the actors involved as well, being those characters. I mean, that, that took a lot um, I mean, so that's partially their credit as well as how successful this film is. So Watchmen for our group has a 9.0 average. All right. That puts it in the company of Leon the Professional. Nice. It, Napoleon Dynamite, and puts it above A Fistful of Dollars and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, as well as Moon. And That's pretty good company. Yeah, just that below. Feels right. yeah. That feels right. We have 9.1s for The Prince of Egypt, Split, Django Unchained, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Enter the Dragon, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, uh, Unbreakable, and Elf. So, Scott Pro- It feels really uh, weird putting Elf up there. It just feels so separate in my mind <laughs> yeah. from Elf everything That and Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what's, what's weird is uh, whenever we, like, e- even if a movie like this ranks below other movies, there this movie, I would take, I, I would rather have this movie exist than some of those movies. Personal preference, man. I, I, I don't know what it is about it. That's Personal the hard preference. part about yeah. reading all of these. Is yeah. That all right, you ready to be happy about the critics' <laughs> yeah. scores, Noah? Oh, yeah, 60 or whatever. Yeah. All right. On Rotten Tomatoes, we're, we're going to critics, by the way. Geniuses. On line. Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has a 65% and an audience score of 71%. So audiences were slightly more favorable. Critics, it still they still got it into the fresh zone, so mm-hmm. we can't be too angry. Oh, golly. Good job, guys. Well, what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. is the aggregate is overall positive, which... There, there's discourse online where when you read it, you would believe. I wouldn't be surprised if I looked up Watchmen on Rotten Tomatoes and saw that it was like 50% or something, mm. you know? So yeah. at least, I, I'm going to count my blessings here. At least it is fresh. Mm-hmm. Okay? Noah? What a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Metacritic, however, this movie has a... 56 out of 100 with wow. an audience score of 8.1. So the critics went lower and audiences went higher uh, on that one for whatever reason. I don't know why. And on IMDb, the movie has a 7.6 out of 10, which is respectable. Mm-hmm. So I would say overall positive reception for this movie. I think it should be a little higher, but uh, it is overall positive. So can we at least agree that that's we're not going to be too upset about this one? <sighs> All right, fine. Like, I feel like, yeah, we should, it, it should be higher, but it's... Arguably Zack Snyder's best work, and people are, like, giving it mediocre scores. Well, mind you, people right. don't like Zack Snyder. That might so. be why it got lower scores. Like, I'm pretty sure... That's why people demanded release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, you look at Michael Bay, and it's very similar. Mm, there, mm-hmm. his highest movie probably has. Don't like compare a, Zach to. to I wonder Michael what the, I think it's a fair comparison. Hey, like Michael Bay's directed some good stuff. What's Michael the Bay's island. best? The Island, The Rock, and The Island. I like The Island as well. Uh, I would also say I like the Bad Boys movies. So there you go. All right. Well, you don't like the Bad Boys movies? No, you? no, you're fine. I, I just didn't. I'm know. fine. Well, Thank one, you. I didn't realize he did the Bad Boys, but two, I would have put. The best movies of Zack Snyder over those until you said Bad Boys. Yeah. But, all right. Mm. Uh, 
Let's move on to box office. Movies budgeted at 130 million. So pretty significant budget, especially considering that it is one of the few R-rated uh, comic book based movies. It's the movie that good trailer, man. Oh, it was a good trailer with the smashing pumpkins. Yeah, phenomenal trailer. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to watch this after the yeah. watch that after the episode. No, it's really Sorry. good. Uh, yeah, the movie released on March sixth, Irina's birthday in two thousand nine. Also playing at the time was Medea Goes to Jail. <laughs> Medea. Oh, yeah. Medea. Medea. Medea Goes to Jail, Taken, Slumdog Millionaire, Paul Blart, Mall and uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> Gosh, those were Hold all on. the same year. Obviously, the Boy. biggest one had to be uh, Slumdog Millionaire. I remember when that came out. Taken, Taken was big Taken as well. was huge, too. Oh, Taken that's was right, big. that's right, that's and right. And Paul Blart You're was right. big as no, well. No, Paul Blart it was. It was. It got was. No way. Whether yes. or not you want to. Are you saying that Paul Blart was on Taken level? What? So, I mean, it was people watch like, dumb stuff. <laughs> it's a meme at this point. It is. Yeah. Saw it. it kills me. I'm looking up the box that. office. For I gotta Paul know right this. Now. I gotta know. <laughs> what was the budget? I got One hundred thirty million. So right, I'm gonna start with you, AJ. Four hundred. Four hundred million for Watchmen. Yeah. David. Three hundred. Three hundred. Arena. Huh. Three fifty. Ah. Fifty. Interesting. Noah. You know where you're gonna go now? Oh, you're boxing me in. All right, all right. <laughs> so yeah. Noah's lowest. Yep. Oh, don't say that. Which means don't that Noah that. is no, yeah. no. <laughs> what was it? The movie made 185 oh, million. The funny God. thing is, we've done this before. I was gonna and none get... of us remember. I know. You know, here's the thing. Sad. I was gonna, I was gonna guess 200, but then I was like, it's just more fun to like. 185 be, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. It's I feel stupid. like God. the consensus of people coming out yeah. of the theater was like that movie was weird. That that's, is AJ okay, is that's so totally strange correct. to me though. Word of mouth on this thing was not good. Uh, the trailer was what? so good. It was marketed as like. From the director of Dawn of the Dead and yeah. 300, these oh. two very well-received movies with lots of cool action. And then what they got was this movie that, yes, had action here and there. And blue dogs. Yeah, yeah but it was mostly just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone yeah. They got different dogs than in 300. Everyone yeah. was fixated on the naked blue man. It is hard yeah. not to notice. It's hard on? What they got was a movie that was very much, while it is still very Zack Snyder, it was very much not like those previous yeah. two movies. You got a slow, semi-contemplative superhero, dark superhero movie mm. that was not like a what was marketed as a like no holds barred action superhero extravaganza that is darker. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this was pre MCU, but still, mm -hmm. like we had Spider Man, so people are still expecting. Bright, shiny comic book. Right. And yeah. This was not it. I, I'd yeah. love it. I'd this love was, it if the. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say this is. This was a little ahead of its time because I feel like if it. If something like this had been released maybe five years later, mm -hmm. I think people would have liked it and got it. Like, yeah. it's like, yes, this is refreshing. You Honestly. Know? That, yeah. yeah. Uh, da David, by the way, uh, this movie did 185 million. How much do you think Paul Blart Mall Cop did? Don't, don't do this to me. I swear. What was Paul Blart's? Hold on. We're doing it. What, what's Paul Blart's budget? 30 million or 26 oh, million. Shit. 26 million. No. This is America. This is good. Uh, 200 million. 
close. 183 million. Oh, it's God. right hey, next to Two million under Watchmen, though. Didn't quite oh. beat it. <laughs> That's the, but what did they net versus Watchmen? Oh, Paul Blart was very much uh, profitable yeah. versus this one. That's which... why they got a Paul Blart 2. So, I, I will this... say, yeah, this box office is disappointing. It had a very decent opening at 55 million but then just cratered because of word word of mouth like a lot of people being like that's not what i was expecting uh i do think the general reception of this movie from audiences has gone up over time Mm, um that is indicated by the uh blu-ray and uh just physical media sales for this movie which were pretty great so as of 2022 it has made 152 million from domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales, uh, which more than likely pushed this movie into the green, honestly. So uh, it's not a a completely bad result for this film. Like I, I think this is one of those ones where people demanded more who, who liked it. They, and mm-hmm. this had multiple re-releases. It had the Ultimate Edition. It had the uh, Black Freighter edition that added in all that stuff. There's clearly demand for more of Zack Snyder's movie. So uh, what we can get from this, at least, is I think it had a much longer tail than Paul Blart, Blart Mall Cop. Uh, <laughs> you won't be seeing a ultimate cut of Paul Blart Mall Take Cop. Take that out of your we mouth. Did get, a sequel, get it out of here. here. <laughs> Does huh? that, doesn't Paul Blart have a sequel? It does. It yes, does. it does. But no one talks about that. <laughs> And I actually think the sequel actually as didn't much do as I well. like Kevin James, dude, hey, get so that's I, eligible yeah, for our show. No, it's pick not. It next, next on franchise Bro, killer. Can we? Paul can we please? So, can we please do a bunch of like Paul Blart like things? And then, so I'm out of here. I've guys. never seen Paul Blart, but the only image I have in my head is him riding on a Segway. Falling and maybe farting or something <laughs> like that's just how I envision the movie. That's okay. humor. You can yeah. get like a, a bunch of movies like the, the Fatties. Yeah, Mall Beans. <laughs> All right, beans. franchise talk. So the movie didn't do particularly well at the uh, cinema, but it was not enough to derail Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. Obviously, he went on to be even more successful after this. It was one of those, like, well, that happened. It didn't make money, but it didn't lose us a lot of money Mm -hmm. either. Uh, It generated talk. It produced good uh, physical media sales. And uh, I think a lot of the Watchmen comics and all the uh, other memorabilia were sold or or were popular because of this. And I honestly do credit this movie as to rejuvenating uh, the Watchmen property and making yeah. people interested in that still. Agreed. I think this is still it did a, it for me. <laughs> yeah, it's still a relevant property, and whether or not it it ultimately made it in the black or not, uh, budget wise, doesn't matter because it, it did reach a target audience. Yeah, exactly. Like it is definitely not. This is not a box office disaster. We should never look at it this way. It's just it was just a mild disappointment upon initial numbers, and I think just kind of recouped it over time. Uh, but so there, there was never any talk of a direct sequel to this or spinoff that said, uh, having seen the Damon Lindelof TV show, I don't know if any of y'all have seen it. I think I asked earlier. No, I need no one has seen it while it does describe itself as, as a sequel to the comic book. There are a lot of things that are lifted seemingly from this original movie. Like I think Dr. Manhattan is very similar uh, 
it is it, it almost seems like a response to the movie and the comic. Uh, I, w- I would say, you know, what the TV show successfully did is create a social education of, you know, mm-hmm. things that, you know, like the Tulsa riots, like a lot of people yeah. were never educated on that thing. Even I have friends in Oklahoma that didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish that, you know, kind of this film, The Watchmen, did that about the Cold War. Yeah. Um, but I'm thankful that that property still was successful enough to have the potential for someone to come along and create like the HBO series. Yeah. Watchmen that creates, you know, dialogue and discussion about yeah. things like that. I so. also don't think that the HBO series exists without this movie coming out. Yeah. Oh, I don't think yeah. the interest is is the same in yeah. a Watchmen property without that thing existing. And I think they probably determined also the aesthetic for it too. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that is in part due to the comics, of yeah. course, but you know. Uh in addition to that, the the original comic has sequels and prequels. So there is a prequel to the Watchmen comic called Before Watchmen, which was uh, headed up by Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. And there is a sequel that is very much not yeah. uh, headed by Alan Moore called uh, The Doomsday Clock. Uh, this is something Wasn't... that I feel like Alan Moore would, uh, he probably knows about it, but he would just like puke if he heard about it. Good. Maybe. Wasn't that what's his name? Uh, Firefly uh, Justice League. Joss Whedon. Yes, didn't Joss Whedon do Doomsday, Doomsday Clock? I don't. Th- I don't know if he did. I thought it was. Um, it was someone involved in in uh, Jeff Johns. I think it was Jeff Johns who was involved in the uh, the Doomsday Clock. But it's essentially the Watchmen being included in the DC universe and uh, them dealing with Superman. In their their uh, universe, which is uh, something, but yeah, something very much that I feel like Alan Moore would not care for uh, his hero, his uh, mythology being included with the uh, the DC universe. Uh, in addition to this, we have uh, there have been motion. There's a motion comic for the original Watchmen. There's also a animated film that was announced in 2017, but has since to be released. Apparently, it's like a re boot or a like a a a retelling of the original Watchmen comic and lastly but also least is y'all know what the Arrowverse is right yeah unfortunately yeah yeah, the Arrow and it started with the Arrow and then the Flash and then all that other stuff that followed through they apparently referenced that the Watchmen was a part of their universe and their their multiverse uh, of what? sorts. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it. Uh, Why? I don't know, but that happened as well. So the 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 Watchmen as a franchise is still alive in a weird form, I guess. So Rorschach uh, is a speedster now. Uh, probably sure, because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's a speedster in Flash. Universe. Dude, I hate that. I hate that. I am so, so firmly against the Watchmen being a part of the DC universe because the Watchmen, it was designed to be a deconstruction of superheroes, specifically the DC universe. DC bought a property and Alan Moore was going to create characters and they want them not to create things specifically that they weren't going to be quote unquote ruined by Alan Moore's touch that, you know, he's got his own style to him. So he created unique characters to, to be kind of outside the mainstream DC universe. So. Yeah, it's all terrible. Um, 
But yeah, The Watchmen Live On. There you go. That's your franchise talk for this one. Sorry, a little looser on this one. Less like actual direct franchise sequelizing as we usually talk about. But uh, The Watchmen, I I do have a feeling that if The Watchmen had been more successful, they would have tried to find a way to make an official uh, sequel or expansion of that universe. With that said, let's close out our discussions on Watchmen. Next week, it's a new miniseries. We're on to AJ here. AJ, you want to introduce it for us? Yeah, so for... I'll just forgive the the Turner phrase here. We're doing hoods in different hoods. So (laughs) I don't like that. The Robin Hood uh, mythos, uh, or mytheme, I guess it would be the proper word, in different cultures around the world. So we're going to take a little bit of globe-trotting uh, with kind of a ro- Robin Hood figure uh, in different different cultures. So a steal from the rich, give to the poor miniseries of sorts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we are starting with uh, the Taron Edgerton Robin Hood. With uh, Jamie Foxx. <laughs> this Jamie Foxx, be... yeah. Um, Robin Hood men in tights, huh? I haven't seen it, so I'll go in open-minded, but I have heard things yes. about it. <laughs> I I what I did what I am excited for is apparently a lot of the stunts in that movie were practically performed and Taron Edgerton got really good at shooting a bow and arrow. That's cool. So that's interesting. And well, cool, isn't it? it's relatively yeah. recent, so I don't, you know it needs to be talked about. We'll mm-hmm. see, and then we'll dive into the Kevin Costner one and some other stuff. So. Yeah, that's one of those ones that I always looked at. Like, I kind of want to see it, but then I was like, uh, "Do I want to see it?" <laughs> you know, and just never got around to it. And now I have a good reason. It's gonna be funny. There's gonna be at least three weeks of me saying, "And next week, Robin Hood," because <laughs> 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 all of them are called Robin There's Hood. There's plenty of them. So. <laughs> all right. Uh, Goodbye, y'all. Have a good week. See ya. Good morning, good night, good day. See ya. Good joke. Everybody laugh. Roll on snare drum. Curtains. (laughs) 